Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with my friends Nick Diggin-Best and Patrick Watson about Venus retrograde as a phenomenon in astrology, and we're going to be explaining how to interpret it and what it will mean for you when Venus goes retrograde at different points in your life uh, based on your birth chart. Uh, so hey, welcome, Nick and Patrick. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for joining me. We have a the, the genesis of this episode is that we have a Venus retrograde that's getting ready to happen this summer in Leo uh, between July 22nd and September 3rd. Um, so I wanted to use this as an opportunity to create kind of like a tutorial for people to understand what Venus retrograde means and to do a full deep dive on the topic. So Nick and I, of course, famously did a very early episode of the Astrology Podcast, episode 39 on Venus retrogrades, which you can still find by Googling Venus retrograde challenging consensus. And that was a nice little concise sort of hour and a half episode or something like that. That, But today I wanted to do a deeper dive into this topic and especially go through a lot of example charts in order to show people how Venus retrograde works out in different ways, both in mundane as well as natal astrology. Um, so that is our focus today. And um, especially telling people how to figure out what Venus retrograde means for you and how to interpret it, um, especially since this one is coming up, and then people can take some of those principles and apply them in the future in other contexts. So yeah, that's the plan. And you both have been doing lots of work on Venus retrograde for, for many years, especially you, Nick, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, well over 20 years. And everything I know about Venus, you know, comes from Nick. <laughs> so no, you've, you've, that's not true. You've, you've done quite a bit of work here yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah I have. He, I, I have. You followed was, I my example, to, but yeah, I didn't mean to shortchange. Yeah, but I uh, myself, but uh, no, I, I, you know, I've, I've always looked up to Nick, uh, Nick's work on uh, Venus, and that's definitely uh, informed uh, a lot of my approach to uh, those cycles of of the planets. Nice. Okay. Good. All right. Well, we'll get into all that during the course of this. So why don't we go ahead and jump right into it? So first things first, let's set the stage by talking a little bit about, about the planet Venus and what Venus signifies uh, in astrology in general, because that helps set a foundation for what Venus actually means when it goes retrograde. So some of the basic significations of Venus um, is it signifies in astrology topics like love, relationships, unions or the concept of union in general, as well as unifying and reconciling things. Uh, Venus also represents art, harmony, and beauty. So those are some basic things. What are some other significations of Venus that come to mind for each of you? Um, well, um, sort of uh, uh, consensus, um, the, the, so the social contract, the, the, the norms that we all accept as a society um, the, 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 the unwritten rules, if you will, not the law, but the sort of the unwritten rules that we all know we're supposed to follow. Um, and, and if anyone sort of veers off that course, it catches everyone's, uh, attention one way or the other. Right. Yeah. I think it's the social dimension, uh, of, of the world. And, and that actually is more profound, I think, than we, uh, typically assume at first. I think, that way of looking at Venus as sort of the social planet allows us to see how it's not just about sort of interpersonal relationships between people, but as you'll see, also has a broader significance for entire groups of people and our social relations with each other as groups of people. I think a, I think a great sort of buzzword and counter buzzword is tasteful and distasteful. 
and to remember that both those words fall under the purview of Venus. So it's not just about what is beautiful and loving and, and, and pretty and attractive and symmetrical, but also our reaction to that which is not or that which is, you know, repels us. There's and that kind of comes there. from the way its cycle operates, right? It's a very symmetrical, even kind yeah. of cycle. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think the symmetry is a big part of why its significations are what they are in astrology. Mm-hmm. Right. It forms really beautiful pattern over time as it goes through the zodiac. And we'll show some of that later on as we get into Venus's um, astronomical movements. So for more about the basic meaning of Venus, uh, check out the episode I did previously with Becca Tarnas in my planet series, which is episode 315, uh, which was titled Venus in Astrology, Meaning and Significations. All right. So moving on, um, so Venus normally in terms of its orbital cycle usually takes about a year or so to do a complete orbit through the zodiac. Um, and normally Venus moves forward through the zodiac at about one sign every three or four weeks um, when it's doing its normal motion through the signs of the zodiac going from sign to sign and forward in direct motion from degree to, to degree from zero to 30 degrees in each sign, and in the normal, what is it, counterclockwise motion through the zodiac from Aries to Taurus to Gemini and so on and so forth. Um, however, periodically, um, Venus will go retrograde, um, which is when it slows down and it starts moving backwards for 40 days, both backwards in terms of the signs of the zodiac and instead of going through its normal movement of going uh, counterclockwise, it starts going clockwise through the, the signs of the zodiac or backwards, like from Gemini to Taurus or from Taurus to Aries and so on and so forth. And it also moves backwards in the order of degrees so that instead of going from zero to one to two to three to four degrees, it starts going like from four to three to two to one for a period of about 40 days. So it literally slows down and it starts moving backwards in its normal motion. And sometimes that can take it into the preceding sign as well, if that, you know, if that happens to cross the sign boundary. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's really important. And here is a diagram just to set up the astron astronomical scenario that we're talking about where normally Venus is going forward, but then what it does is it slows down and then um, does almost like a U-turn and starts moving backwards in its normal order of motion. And then eventually after that 40-day period, it slows down again. It does another U-turn in stations direct, and then it begins moving forward again um, after that point. So the retrograde or Venus retrograde period is just that span of time especially right in, in the middle of that process when it's moving backwards. And the middle of the retrograde is when the was when uh, Venus retrograde is conjunct the sun. That's basically when Venus passes between the Earth and the sun. So that's another way to conceptualize it astronomically. What's happening is Venus is coming closest to the Earth and making that alignment between Earth and the sun. Yeah, let me show... I'm going to share my screen here for solar fire for those watching the video version um, to show people what that looks like just when plotted on an astrological chart. So here is today, and I forgot to mention the data. Today is Tuesday, June 13th, 2023. 
we started recording about nine minutes ago. So we started recording a little bit before 1 p.m. Uh, with Virgo rising here. Denver time. Yeah, Denver, Colorado, mountain time. So um, today on June 13th, we see that Venus is at seven degrees of Leo. And what will happen is we see Venus is moving forward through the sign of Leo, and it's moving forward in the order of degrees from, let's say, you know, 18 degrees to 19 to, to 20 to 21. But <clears throat> um, the closer we get to the retrograde station, Venus actually starts slowing down so that it's not moving through those degrees as quickly. And then eventually, um, when we get to here about late July, around July 22nd, Venus will actually stop moving forward at 28 degrees of Leo, and it will turn retrograde and begin moving backwards for 40 days. And going from 28 Leo, it'll move to 27 Leo, then 26, then 25, and so on and so forth. And then eventually, as Patrick said, about at the exact midpoint or halfway point through the Venus retrograde cycle, Venus will conjoin the sun and have an exact conjunction right in the heart of the sun. So then eventually we get the second half of the Venus retrograde cycle and it keeps going backwards in the order of degrees until eventually um, in late August and early September, it starts slowing down again and Venus will station direct at 12 degrees of Leo here around September 3rd and September 4th, at which point it will then start moving forward again. That's right. And we might add that um, what happens over the course of this motion is uh, as the retrograde starts, Venus is visible in the evening sky after the sun is set in the west. And then gradually as the retrograde pro progresses, it, it comes under the beams of the sun where it's not visible for much of the, the retrograde, although eventually towards the, the as it approaches its direct station, it becomes visible again. But this time, as a morning star preceding the sun in the eastern horizon, rising before the sun in the morning. And that's the, the sort of the fundamental shift at work with the Venus retrograde is, is that this cycle is sort of starting anew. Yeah, for sure. So it begins the cycle as an evening star um, where it's visible at night after the sun sets and it um, ends the cycle as a morning star where it's visible in the mornings just before the sun rises, which is right. a little complicated unless you're already familiar with that technique, but it's just good to know that there's something we'll come back to of the idea of Venus changing sides of the sun and changing its visibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So there's that. And then you had an animation from a astronomy program that I wanted to share really quick, Nick. What was yeah. the name of this program again? Uh, Starry Night Pro. It's okay. uh, a top-notch ast astronomy program. I use it uh, for animations. Well, I use it for a lot of things, um, but uh, for video work, I use it uh, because it makes these really uh, great animations that you can use to illustrate things like the Venus retrograde cycle here. So you All can right. see in the you can see in the top left, uh, it's July seventeenth, eighteen twenty. You know, now we're in August, and you can see Venus making this retrograde loop, and it's it's had the conjunction with the Sun already. Then it's stationed direct. And now it's, um, you know, moving toward the sun to make its next conjunction with the sun, which will be the exterior conjunction. 
Yeah. So in the video, just to describe it for the audio people, it beginning shows Venus and it's moving forward and the sun is earlier in the order of the signs of the zodiac at the beginning of this. But then when Venus slows down and does this U-turn, part of what happens is that then Venus both does a U-turn and starts moving back towards the sun, but also the sun catches up to it because the sun is still moving forward in zodiacal order. And that eventually leads to the two of them meeting up halfway through the retrograde cycle and conjoining. And then Venus switches sides. And then suddenly Venus is earlier in the order of the signs, the zodiac, than the sun, and then eventually slows down and stations direct. And another facet of this loop is the way it sort of carries Venus uh, uh, across the ecliptic and back. You'll you'll often see like if it's uh, if it's south of the ecliptic, it makes a retrograde loop going sort of northward, and then if it's uh, tra traveling north, it, the loop will sort of take it southward. And I think that's also that that interaction with the ecliptic seems to be uh, another important sort of uh, facet of of how it's gonna. Um, appear and how it's going to manifest. Yeah. And and the other thing that you focus on that we'll talk about later also is that the Venus retrograde then is also tied in with Venus having its her greatest distance from the sun or greatest right. elong, elongation. That's right. Um, this year, Venus had its greatest elongation from the sun on June 4th, um, which is, you know, about, uh, it's about 50 days before the retrograde station. Yeah, but the so the general point is just Venus gets really far away from the sun, and then at the retrograde it turns and starts moving back towards it. Um, but both ends of the retrograde are sort of in some way connected with Venus being as far from the sun as she can get because she can never get more than two signs away from the sun or about how many degrees? It's like forty something degrees. Forty something, 40, yeah, something 40, like that. Forty, yeah. yeah, sounds okay. Right. All right. So and that's why the sextile is a Venusian aspect, right? Because it's the yeah, sort of Venusian uh, characteristic distance from the sun. That's right. right. All right. So let's see. So that's kind of the establishment of the Venus retrograde. And so Venus, this Venus retrograde period happens approximately every 18 months, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So every 18 months. Um, Venus retrograde, it, it is an, an apparent phenomenon, but it's still a symbolically important one, as we'll get into later, and we'll get into some of the reasons why. One of the things that's important, one of the last important things astronomically, is that Venus retrogrades only go, only happen for the most part in about five signs, right? Because um, Venus will go retrograde every 18 months, but it actually has a pretty fixed pattern that it creates across the signs of the zodiac. Yeah, it's it's a very symmetrical um, cycle. Uh, the, the full Venus cycle is 2,920 days, which is eight years minus two days. Um, and so if you think of eight years being a circle, the five retrogrades happen sort of in a symmetrical pattern apart from each other. And this is what illustrates the image of a five-pointed star. Uh, this is the reason why we have that that universal image, the five-pointed star, um, something that uh, appears on the American flag, the Chinese flag, the old Soviet flag, a whole lot of flags. North Korea has one on their flag. So, you know, everyone uses it. And, everyone loves uh, Venus. <laughs> everyone loves Venus, right. Um, and yeah, uh, Venus being sort of the brightest star in the sky, if you will, 
using the, the old school terminology for the word star. Um, yeah, the, it sort of represents all stars in a way. Um, and that so that that five pointed image that we all use, uh, it really has this sort of natural origin. It's it's not merely a sort of an abstract, well, abstract in one sense, but but very sort of literal in another. Right. So um, Venus will go retrograde in, in one of these five signs roughly every 18 months. And then what's weird about it is that it will repeat the same retrograde in roughly the same sign of the zodiac every eight years. So yeah. I've got a um, diagram up right now that shows some of the Venus retrograde dates. And so when we're talking about this current one that's about to happen in Leo between July and September of 2023, that's going to happen in Leo. And if we go back eight years to the summer, the same time frame of July, September of 2015, we'll see Venus also going retrograde in roughly the same area of the zodiac. And then if we go eight years before that to 2007, July to September, we'll see Venus going retrograde again in roughly the same spot of the zodiac. That's correct. All right. So that'll be one of our interpretive principles that we'll come back to later is paying attention to the repetitions in eight-year periods and why that's important and how you can use that as a little little astrology hack to um, figure out what the upcoming Venus retrograde period will mean for you is by looking back at past retrogrades in the same area of the zodiac or in the same spot in your own birth chart. It's a fantastic hack for any style of astrology. Um, you know, the the knowing the, the following the Venus retrogrades, no matter what kind of how you apply astrology, it it really comes in very, very handy because any chart you look at, you immediately have a sense of how Venus operates in that chart if you if you understand the cycle. Little side right. note as well is that the the relationship of the number of retrogrades and the number of Earth years that take place in five oh. Uh, five retrogrades <clears throat> within eight years that technically golden. forms the golden ratio five yeah. uh, 1.6 yeah um mm. so i think that's kind of another <laughs> interesting facet of, right uh, yeah yeah um, of the cycle absolutely speak of introducing sort of these natural you know uh, um these Intervals? natural phenomena <laughs> yeah well the natural you know that this comes from from just sort of the natural cycle, these ideas, these mathematical ideas, these these archetypal ideas that come right out of the science. Yeah, the like mathematical formula are replicated in or actually like are in nature and show up in nature in different ways. And then that also comes through in different ways in which it's connected to time and our experience of time and through astrology also our realization of a different uh, or experience of a different dimension of time that time has a much more um, qualitative uh, side to it than we're usually used to thinking of. Mm -hmm. All right, so those are the basics mm -hmm. of Venus retrograde in terms of what it means, what it is astronomically, just as an astronomical cycle. Let's talk a little bit about what Venus retrograde actually means from an astrological standpoint. So one of the things that's important is that a retrograde will, Venus will extend and intensify what are otherwise a normally very brief Venus transits, where normally Venus will, um, if you're having a transit of Venus to one of your natal planets, um, it'll come and go over the course of a day because Venus transits are very brief, kind of similar to Mercury or Sun transits. 
Um, but when Venus goes retrograde, it will actually um, transit the same planet three times in your chart if you have a natal planet that it passes over around the time or during the time of the retrograde. So um, let's see. So going back to our previous diagram, if you just imagine that you have a planet um, right in the I'll draw on it. Let's say you have a planet right here. It means when Venus is first moving forward before the retrograde, it'll pass over that planet once. Then when it goes retrograde, Venus will turn around, sort of like basically like she's driving over a planet in your chart. Um, but then she stations retrograde and then puts the car into the reverse, backs over that planet like a second time, and then when Venus eventually stations direct, it will go forward and it'll move over that planet or that degree in your chart a third time. So that's really important, again, just as a basic astronomical phenomenon when trying to understand what a Venus retrograde means um, in general, is that it means a normally fast Venus transit that would only come and go once very quickly over the course of a day suddenly gets extended into a three pass Venus transit that you'll experience in pretty quick succession over the course of a few months, or it's not quick succession, a pretty long succession of three months, you'll have the same exact transit three times. So it's like if that's a positive transit, let's say your Jupiter is there, then Venus will conjoin your Jupiter three times, and that could be something more experienced as more subjectively positive or auspicious. But let's say you have a more challenging placement there, um, then it could be experienced as something that's a little bit more challenging that then gets elongated over the course of, of a few month period. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a big deal yeah. for of a, of a Venus transit as opposed to a regular pass um, through that sign. Right. So that's one thing it does. The other thing in terms of elongating transits, another way that it elongates or intensifies transits is that if you have um, especially a planet around the stationary degree um, where Venus is going to station either retrograde or direct, then it means that you're going to have that transit not just pass like three times really quickly, but you may actually have, for example, if you have a planet right here, like let's say your, um, I don't know, your your sun or something, um, Venus, if Venus stations retrograde right on top of that, then it means you're going to have an exact transit of Venus that's going to get extended over the course of what, like a week or two as Venus is kind of hovering around that degree, um, which just creates not just a very long Venus transit, but also a very intense Venus transit at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Any other points to add about that? Uh, not specifically, no. Beautifully done. Okay, cool. Um, so those are some of the ways that Venus retrograde is important. Um, I meant to show this diagram because this is an illustration um, from Stella from Reddit, who um, wrote this illustration for the current Venus retrograde period between July and September of 2023, and just showing how it's activating that range of degrees, especially between 12, 28 and 12 degrees of Leo. Um, as well as the same corresponding set of degrees in the other signs that that are aspected or that Venus will aspect when it's 
retrograde in those degrees. So for example, since Venus is going retrograde between 28 and 12 Leo, it's going to be opposed to 28 to 12 Aquarius, or it's going to be squaring the same number of degrees in Taurus and Scorpio, or trining the same number of degrees between Sagittarius and Aries, and so on and so forth. So it's going to have an extended transit of whatever that aspect is, where it's going to hold that aspect or hit it three times during the course of the retrograde period. Yeah, the only other thing I would uh, add to that is uh, you would also want to take into account the transiting planets that are aspecting Venus as well during the retrograde because that will distinguish uh, different Venus retrograde periods that happen in the same signs eight years apart. Um, Those individualized conditions of the planetary arrangements of those periods will qualitatively distinguish the different Venus retrograde periods in those signs. Yeah. yeah it, it, in in other words, um, you're at once you're you're looking at Venus sort of in this isolated sense where its pattern is sort of a, um, plays a role into itself. But of course, always Venus is interacting with the different planets, and they're not moving at a in an eight year cycle. So with every eight year return, Venus's relationship to the other planets will be entirely different than the previous eight one. Even though Venus itself is just sort of doing the same thing over and over. Uh, so, for instance, in 2007, the Venus retrograde in Leo, <clears throat> excuse me, interacted with uh, Saturn because Saturn was moving from Leo to Virgo at the time. Whereas in 2015, uh, the Venus retrograde in Leo was interacting with Jupiter because Jupiter was in Leo at that time. So, and that that you know, negatively or positively for different individuals, uh, it did sort of um, mold or or shape the 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 nature uh, more specifically of the Venus retrograde transit. How was how it was experienced by different people. Yeah, and I've got a diagram for that from the last Venus retrograde that Kyle from ArchetypalExplorer.com made for me, where with that Venus retrograde in Capricorn back in um, late 2021 and early 2022, Venus um, stationed retrograde, and it made a conjunction with Pluto around that time, because Pluto was also in late Capricorn and Venus went retrograde in late Capricorn. So that ended up resulting in three exact Venus-Pluto conjunctions that were spread out over the course of a few months, where the first exact conjunction took place December 11th when Venus was still direct. But then when Venus went retrograde, um, it backed up and then conjoined Pluto again on December 25th. And then eventually Venus kept going retrograde and then stationed direct. And then after it went direct, it eventually caught up to and conjoined Pluto one last time on March 3rd at the end of Capricorn. So it's not just that Venus retrogrades can have this triple transit to natal planets in your chart, but also part of the quality of Venus retrogrades is based on what planets Venus aspects um, during the course of its retrograde in the sky as well. That was yeah. a loud one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you can say that again. Um, yeah. We'll 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 come back to that one later. Yeah. All right. So um, so that's one of the things. So it elongates and intensifies a normally brief Venus transit. Um, other things in terms of what Venus retrograde means, since it's a retrograde and since Venus um slows down and starts moving backwards in the order of signs. It goes backwards to retread old ground, or it returns back to 
degrees of the zodiac that it's already passed over and sort of looks backwards for a period of time instead of looking forwards. And so symbolically retrogrades in general can also involve looking back into the past. Um, and sometimes this symbolically or literally means looking back into the past during this period for people. Um, sometimes something from the past is brought back to you um, or is brought back into the present, or sometimes the period can involve reconnecting with something from earlier chronologically, um, which can show up in, in a number of different ways, I think, in a person's life, right? Yeah, so yeah. Oh, go, go ahead, Watson. I was just going to say with Venus, especially exes, you know, it's probably like <laughs> the number one booty call transit, right? Uh, where <laughs> people from your past who you thought were gone, you know, they have a way of resurfacing, but not always to just repeat the same experience. It can often serve as a kind of reminder of, you know, maybe uh, the reasons you left it behind <laughs> in the first place. So yeah, I just want to add sometimes that. to the extent that Venus is like a relation, the planet of relationships, um, sometimes um, old relationships resurfacing or going back and relooking at or revisiting old relationships is pretty standard. Mm hmm. Um, it's definitely so, one of the ways it's 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 not the only thing that can happen but it's certainly sure. one of the things that people find happening to them during these times yeah yeah well and i've also noticed that it really it also depends on what house it's going through in your chart and sometimes it can be revisiting different types of relationships from the past but they don't necessarily have to be romantic ones like in 2020 i had this we had a Venus retrograde in Gemini, and it went retrograde and stationed on my um, ice, the degree of my IC, which represents like family and origins and roots and things like that. And I had um, like an uncle that I hadn't seen in almost like 20 years reconnect with me, as well as meeting um, like a cousin that I hadn't seen in over 30 years and another cousin that I hadn't met, um, but also talking with my uncle about my dad and like learning about him a lot and his story and that was a really interesting going back and reconnecting with my own roots in a way with venus retrograde around my ic and some of those fourth house topics coming back or being revisited at that time hmm. yeah yes. i definitely relate to that yep so that's that's a possibility another thing that comes up sometimes with venus retrogrades is reviewing or reconsidering um, current relationships in your life of different types um, because it involves Venus um, slowing down and, and looking backwards in order to decide, uh, you know, sort of assess where it's currently at. Um, but it can also act as a pivoting pivot point in terms of deciding where you want to go in the future. But sometimes when you're at a crossroads in your life, it's not just about looking forward, but also looking backwards and trying to determine where you want to go from here based on what led you up to the present point. It can definitely function as a relationship stress test. And sometimes it survives. Sometimes it doesn't. Right. I think I think in many ways, the Venus retrograde transit uh, uh, involves like reconsiderations or rethinkings and, and uh, um, reapplications of strategy or yeah, I mean, it, yeah, the, the, the principle you're describing, it's actually, it's a lot more expansive than that in terms of the, in the ways things can return or in the ways that, um, uh, things change during this part of the cycle, right? Internally, externally, what have you? Yeah, and that internal. I'm glad you mentioned internally because that's probably important also because Venus slows down 
and goes retrograde and then it disappears from view and it goes under the beams of the sun and then conjoins the sun but that's when it's at its most um it's least visible and sort of hidden and in some ways there's like an internalization that happens during that process where you where occasionally there can be especially periods of reflection or like the dark night of the soul types type scenarios yeah certainly i mean one one sort of uh, shorthand uh approach that i use venus retrogrades for in consultations if someone's got a rising sign that is one of the five signs where venus goes retrograde so say people with leo rising coming this summer um very often i find just in a, in a broad sense and everyone you know that, that comes to me for consultation tends to confirm this um the idea is if if uh, you know after after a person has lived their full life and someone wanted to write a biography of that person the the periods when the venus retrograde crosses the person's ascendant makes these very sort of natural places to start a new chapter in that book like you you know the way biographies are written there there tend to be you know if there's 20 chapters or 10 chapters or whatever there, there's just you know the very natural places even though you're describing real events in an individual's life there are these natural places to sort of end one chapter and begin a new chapter of the book because the person moved from this phase in their life to that next phase in their life whatever the context may be and yeah you know virtually without fail you can always look to that that particular transit as being at least one of those periods where like boom you know chapter two and then so and so went on to do such and such right they end up forming some of those unavoidable narratives of someone's life like yeah. if, if right so it's like a transition point or a turning point or a pivot which is is really striking because astronomically as we saw in that animation from the astronomy program you use it literally in the sky venus does this kind of um circle or this pivoting motion over the course of a few months so um and in a pivot or a turning point like that you know very much can symbolically mean like a turning point in a person's life yeah Mm -hmm. all right it's, so it's really really reliable technique i'll put it right out there sure so another thing or another area for venus that's that's a major part of venus retrogrades also is that a rep retrograde represents something that is um symbolically and from an astronomical standpoint something that's anomalous something that's weird or something that stands out because it goes against the grain because normally all of the planets are normally Venus most of the time is moving forward in the order of the signs of the zodiac um, normally it's always moving forward in the order of degrees from zero to 30 but then all of a sudden during this brief period it's doing something different and it's doing something that stands out as odd or kind of weird in a sense because it's contrary to what it's usually doing most of the time so as a result of that astronomically um, sometimes that shows up from a symbolic standpoint as well um, where it can coincide with events that relative to Venus are kind of weird or odd or go against the grain of something that is normal that comes normally for that planet so um yeah we'll get into some specific like examples of that for for sure um I know one of the things that you bring into that's sort of connected with that is themes of like social consensus right Nick yeah um the, the sort of the the rules that that we all follow you know um 
the be it how we how we dress or um, how we um, sort of uh, consider you know certain kinds of relationships or or I mean it's it's just the, the sort of the the agreement and disagreement that we have as a society or as a community uh, in terms of like what is what is done and not done as as they say. Um, politeness and rudeness you know again i want to i want to stress the sort of the dichotomy that the 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 whole sort of breadth of thing as opposed to like a lot of times astrologers will talk about venus and they'll just talk about the pleasant stuff but venus is absolutely sort of it's the spectrum of pleasant to unpleasant okay um, yeah the social norms the social contracts yeah that's that is kind yeah. of uh yeah, yeah the sort of broader view of venus yeah and those who want to break the social contract or change it uh or you know amend it. yeah well or well yeah or or re re restore it uh, yeah. not so much preserve not preserve it it's always like either restore it or or advance it or you know <laughs> uh, um it's it's not preserve it's it's uh you know um it's always about changing it either changing it or changing it back depending on you know the individual and the circumstance Right. Revising the social contract. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then Patrick, did you have other points about that? Uh, well, since Venus has that social dimension, um, because Venus is in such a sort of, in some ways, a compromised position when it's moving uh, backward, it can coincide with delicate or charged or really complicated social situations and social breaking points. Um, even if you look at your own chronology, especially if you've had uh if you've had relationships in your life uh, especially romantic relationships um you can often see how these uh periods where venus is retrograde may coincide with sort of important developments along those topics in your life and um i mean it can be the formation of new relationships it can be breakups it can be uh breaks in the relationship um uh, it can also be times of of marriages uh, so it's it's not always one thing or the other, but it just seems to highlight that those things are sort of happening. And oftentimes, sort of the complicated social situations that can come up in relationships coincide with these Venus retrograde periods. Um, like I mentioned, breakups or divorces. Sometimes you see uh, uh, cheating, infidelity, the sort of the sort of you know kind of naughtier side, I guess, of, of Venus retrograde. So it shows those things sort of fall outside the the norms of expected behavior. And so that's how you can sometimes see Venus retrogrades uh, coinciding with those sort of delicate or charged or complicated social situations, because it's elevating the principle of desire in um, challenging ways, either progressive or regressive. And uh, and speaking of which, I mean, you know, sure, like uh, things like extramarital affairs can can occur during the time, but more specifically, the revelation of extramarital affairs can, sure. can emerge. Yeah, fair uh, um, there, there's, there's quite a, you know, Venus retrogrades have a terrific uh, history with regard to scandal, uh, because that's part of what, what you get when you're challenging the social consensus. You get a, a pushback, like what so and so did what, um, and and that kind of thing. This is not done again. That 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 idea of this is done or this is not done, um, and and you know you'll have two camps, uh, chanting one or the other. Got it. Okay. Um, cool. Well, I think that sets us up well then to transition into the next section where um, I wanted to first talk about how sometimes Venus retrogrades show up sometimes importantly in important or notable world events. 
And then after that, we'll talk about, we'll transition into talking about how Venus retrograde shows up in example charts in people's individual lives and, and isolated instances like that. So um, sometimes Venus shows up in world events. In terms of Venus retrogrades, I always think of in this current Leo retrograde that's coming up this summer, I always think back to the last time that Venus went retrograde in Leo, which was about eight years ago now in the summer of 2015. And one of the notable things that happened in the buildup to that retrograde that always stood out because we started doing the um, monthly forecast episodes of the astrology podcast around that time. So it was like one of the first major events we commented on in doing the forecast episodes. And it was that um, on June 26, 2015, the Supreme Court decided uh, the case Obergefell versus Hodges, which essentially legalized same-sex marriage in the United States nationally, like pretty much overnight at that time. And I always remember that partially because there was a, a Venus-Jupiter conjunction that was happening in the sky at that time that was actually very um, visible and very bright because um, Venus was pretty far from the sun. And so you could actually see Venus and Jupiter in the evening just after sunset. And those two planets were like coming together right as that happened. Um, but also because that was... Um, that preceded a Venus retrograde that was about to happen and that was getting ready to happen in Leo um, that was just getting ready to start at that time. And one of the things that ended up being really interesting in retrospect um, is that Venus then went retrograde in July, just like it's about to do this year, and it's retrograde for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, and I read a Gallup poll later on that said that one in 10 weddings were same-sex couples in the summer of 2015. And that it said something like 96,000 same-sex couples were married between July and October of 2015, which would have been sort of centered on and during the course of that Venus retrograde, as well as the, the pre- and post-retrograde shadow periods, which we'll get into, I think, a little bit here pretty soon in talking about that. Um, but that was really a really major and notable um, world event that kind of occurred at that time. And for me, it was kind of interesting because it was characterized in a relatively positive way by the fact that Venus was going, getting ready to go retrograde and it was conjunct Jupiter at the time. And there was like this, at least, you know, largely this, this positive, basically um, social thing that happened that affected a lot of people and also was clearly directly related to marriage to, to Venus in that it was connected to the, the topic of marriage and who could get married and allowing a lot of people to get married who couldn't previously. If you think of Jupiter in terms of confirmation or validation or, or, or even archetypally the Supreme Court judges, itself. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah, you know, Laws, the judicial yeah. confirmation and approval of Venus as a, as a, you know, principle. Well, again, I, the, the, the sort of the distinction I'd make between Venus and Jupiter is, is and the, their conjunction in this instance is beautifully illustrated because yeah, Jupiter is the law. Whereas Venus is sort of the rules, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's, and so this was emerging of a, of the consensus with law, uh, if you will, of, of the unwritten rule to, to, you know, that the fact that, uh, uh, you know, people of the same sex do fall in love and do want to be life partners to the, the, the law sort of merging with that, that, that change. Yeah. Well, and also maybe representing like the changing of consensus. Yes. Um, and those like watershed moments where something builds up and consensus is changed. Cause what was so striking about that is 
it wasn't too long before that. It was only in 2012, for example, I think that Obama, that the 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 during the 2012 presidential election that Obama openly endorsed uh, same-sex marriage for the first time as a leading presidential candidate, whereas even I think before that in, in 2008, he didn't, or and, and no candidates did prior to that time. But over the span of a relatively short span of time of years, suddenly the, it's like the consensus in the country had, had changed enough that there were these important turning points. He made that announcement in May of 2012, which was uh, Venus, right retrograde. The Venus retrograde in Gemini. And then eight years prior to that, uh, in 2004, uh, Massachusetts was the first U.S. state to legalize gay marriage. Uh, so you can see the eight-year uh, synodic cycle of the Venus retrogrades in Gemini kind of coinciding with uh, these important developments for the progression of this topic. And there's another um, one. Uh, yeah, I was going to give a shout out yeah. to um, Maurice Fernandez pointed out to me, the astrologer Maurice Fernandez pointed out that the first country to legalize same-sex marriage was the Netherlands on April 1st, 2001, and that was a Venus retrograde uh, in Aries. It was like right in the middle of the Venus retrograde cycle, shortly after the conjunction between the Sun and Venus in Aries. So Venus was at seven degrees of Aries retrograde, and the Sun was at 11 degrees of Aries. So it was literally like right after the Sun-Venus conjunction, which is right in the middle of the Venus retrograde cycle. I, I was really uh, thrilled uh, Maurice reminded me because it just so happens I was living in the Netherlands in the spring of 2001. I was there when this happened and sort of witnessed the, the uh, you know, the, the event. Um, and it was an interesting spring. We'll get to another example I know in a minute uh, involving the Netherlands during the same time period um, that also relates to Venus retrograde. Um, but yeah, it was, it, it really did sort of, you know, here we were in a brand new century. And uh, I, I found myself in this, uh, generally speaking, progressive country, although you can misunderstand the Netherlands, I think, to some degree, uh, more than anything, they're very pragmatic, they're more pragmatic than progressive. Um, and, and, you know, any, any law they pass is because it makes common sense to them. Um, and, and that was, you know, a, a big part of the rationale behind uh, their being taking the lead uh, in this in this situation as well. Interestingly, Australia voted in favor of uh, legalizing gay marriage in November of 2017 at a Venus-Jupiter conjunction in Scorpio. Venus wasn't retrograde, but there was still that same uh, Venus-Jupiter signature that we saw from uh, June of uh, 2015. So um, it's almost like astrology works, you know, I'm almost convinced. Mm. That's Almost. crazy talk, Watson. That's crazy. Right. <laughs> yeah, get off, get off this podcast. <laughs> Where do you think you are? Yeah, if I had known before I brought you on here. <laughs> so embarrassing. Um, so what, one of the things this brings up we should mention is I want to mention the, the pre- and post-retrograde shadow period, because um, it's kind of been alluded to already when I talked about the three passes of Venus. Um, so we're focusing here, and we've been focusing up to this point largely on the retrograde period itself, and this is the the forty days and forty nights when Venus is actually moving backwards from our vantage point astronomically. Um, but during that time, it's retreading um, a series of degrees that had already passed through when it was direct in the lead up to the retrograde period, and so. What we we call this at this point, or what astrologers generally have started calling it over the past few decades, is the pre-retrograde shadow period. 
um, it, are, is the range of degrees that um, Venus first moves through that it will later come back to during the retrograde period. Um, so an astrologer who astrologer named Roxana Muse, I think, is the first person who coined this terminology and really started promoting it in the 1980s of paying attention to the range of degrees that Venus um, passes through before the retrograde period. And that in some ways, the retrograde period kind of begins in some ways during the pre-retrograde shadow period because Venus starts moving through degrees that she'll later come back to. And as a result of that, it can sometimes set up a sequence of events um, during the pre-retrograde shadow period that will then be revisited uh, during a period of intensification during the retrograde period itself. And then eventually when Venus stations direct and starts moving forward again, it will go through the same set of degrees a third time. And this is what's called the post-retrograde shadow period, which is kind of sometimes like a cleanup phase where it's going over the same degrees again a third time. And at this point, the third and final phase of the Venus retrograde story happens and we get the tail end of it. And sometimes there's a closing down or there's a third act or, or a final cleanup um, from the entire cycle. So sometimes this creates kind of three acts where you have like the first act is the pre-retrograde shadow period. Um, then there's the second act, which is the retrograde period itself. And the third act is the post-retrograde shadow period. Yeah. Yeah. I'd All say right. electionally, you'd almost you'd almost prefer to maybe do something Venusy in that post-retrograde shadow because it's no longer going backward, but it's it's sort of newly direct and and moving forward with that initial momentum of having stationed uh, direct. And so when you're studying people's chronologies, you will often see that post-retrograde shadow period kind of show up as when Venus is seemingly sort of especially powerful, almost as if you were to draw a bow back, draw an arrow back rather, and let it go. Uh, that post-retrograde uh, shadow period, I think really is kind of a uh, under underplayed or <laughs> undervalued or overlooked. It's certainly the 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 thing about the this part of the the Venus cycle is it's certainly it, it it's not just the 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 retrograde but there's a whole sort of dance uh, uh, that indeed it includes that the shadow so even though you've got the forty day retrograde uh, these shadow periods are well over thirty days between like th like about thirty two thirty three thirty four days before and after the actual forty day retrograde period so. Uh, it really does sort of expand that range, but it's it's. Um, I think it's they're they're important points to 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 mark that that if you're just focused on the actual retrograde motion itself, you're sort of you're missing a bigger picture. Uh, that's that's really really critical to understand. Yeah, and to tie in with what both you're saying and what you said, Patrick, it means that sometimes like if there's an event that occurs in the pre-retrograde shadow period, especially if Venus like hits a natal, an important natal planet in your chart. And if you have, have an important event here, um, sometimes it'll seem like that should be a one-time event because under a normal Venus transit, that would be it. It's like you have a Venus transit, it comes and goes, you have a good day, you have a good meeting with somebody or, or whatever, and that's the end of it. And Venus keeps moving on. But 
with this entire Venus retrograde cycle with the shadow periods, what can sometimes happen is if you have a, the first event during a pre-retrograde shadow period, sometimes you'll end up revisiting that event during the retrograde period when Venus comes back to that spot. And then finally, you may end up revisiting it for the last time under the post-retrograde shadow period when Venus passes by the same spot again for a third time. So that can be important to pay attention to, and that's going to come up because sometimes when we're talking about Venus retrograde periods, we'll be talking about not just the 40 days of Venus being retrograde, but we'll be giving some examples that include the pre or post retrograde shadow periods, because it's still tied in with the broader um, phenomenon of the Venus retrograde during that time frame. All right. So with that in mind, um, that's why we have in the diagram from Stella, we note not just the retrograde periods, but also that the pre-retrograde shadow period this year begins on June 19th when Venus passes 12 degrees of Leo, because that's the degree that Venus will later um, retrograde back to when Venus stations direct later on in September. Um, so the pre-retrograde shadow period begins on June 19th when Venus passes 12 Leo. It goes retrograde on July 22nd at 28 Leo. It'll retrograde and move all the way back to 12 Leo before it stations direct on September 3rd. And then finally, the post-retrograde shadow period is not going to be over until Venus leaves and passes 28 degrees of Leo, which is the degree that it originally stationed retrograde at. And that final post-retrograde shadow period will end on October 7th. So when you look at it from that standpoint, it's kind of elongating the whole Venus retrograde um, time frame from this 40 days and 40 nights that is the actual retrograde period itself. And it's turning it into a much broader thing that's um, taking place between June 19th and October 7th of 2023. So, and although the, we're explaining this primarily within the context of this current retrograde period, this is going to be applicable essentially to all future retrogrades as well. Yeah. And, and really, I mean, in astrology, in a, in a broader sense, I mean, we, we tend to look at any planet's uh, retrograde phase, we tend to look at the, the shadow periods uh, um, in that context as well. So it's not just Venus, but yeah. Right. So, okay. So that's important because then again, situating that within the context of the, um, the 2015 Venus retrograde in Leo, when the Supreme Court decision happened, Venus was already in her pre-retrograde shadow phase. So in that way, the Venus retrograde circumstances surrounding that retrograde had already started to build up for many people in their life. Then Venus went retrograde in July, like, you know, thousands, almost 100,000 um, marriages, you know, took place between different same-sex couples that suddenly were able to get legally married in different areas that they couldn't previously. And then eventually that whole retrograde and shadow phenomenon wasn't over until October. Um, but, you know, interestingly, that just happened to coincide with this period where there's this great intensity that was noted in that Gallup poll of all these people being married between July and October. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's one major example of Venus retrogrades and like major world events taking place that are relevant to yeah. ma many people. Um, in other types of Venus retrograde events, there can sometimes be scandals, uh, which you guys have both mentioned already. One of the most famous scandals was the um, Bill Clinton-Monica Lewinsky scandal broke um, during or around the time of the Venus retrograde in Aquarius and Capricorn in 1998, right? 
Yeah. You know, it's right really close to the actual Sun Venus interior conjunction yeah. uh, itself. Yeah. So it was right in the heart of the retrograde. And of course, that was um, pretty explosive because it brought up all those questions about, you know, what's the right way to act? You know, what are the <laughs> what are the boundaries of a oh, marriage? Oh, and, yeah. you know, I mean, it goes on and on. Things. Yeah. So here's the so January 17th, 1998, the sun is at 27. Capricorn and Venus is at 25 Capricorn and Venus is retrograde. So it's right in the middle of the halfway point in the cycle. And what happened, it was just that this is when the story first came out. Yeah. Um, Mike Drudge, I believe, was the one who reported it um, and which boosted his career. The famous Drudge report uh, would be infamous from then on. Uh, from there, it bled into mainstream media pretty quickly and yeah, exploded. Um, I remember at the time, I mean, I was an astrology student at the time and, and you know, the very early days of the internet, America Online and all that, and and uh, what astrology uh, forums existed at the time, uh, astro.com, astrodienst had this forum that, uh, you know, myself and whoever was around at the time participated in. And and yeah, it was, it was something that we were analyzing to death. It was, you know, for me, for my sort of entry into astrology, at that point, I'd been a, stu a student for about three years. Uh, yeah, it was this really, it was, it was where, uh, for me, astrology started to merge with, with sort of day-to-day -day politics and, and, and uh, the, you know, the kind of work we're still doing now where, where we were looking at astrology in the world, whereas, you know, in those first three years of study, I was mostly doing natal astrology. I was looking at transits, but really it started to make me aware of astrology happening in the world and astrology yeah. reflecting changes in the world. Because Venus, the planet of like relationships, was going retrograde. All the astrologers were talking about that because this would have been halfway through the retrograde cycle. So you would have seen everybody already talking about how the planet of relationships is going retrograde and there should be major events with that. And then all of a sudden, right in the middle of that, one of the most talked about and newsworthy and sort of explosive um, relationship scandals of the, of the decade happened like right in the middle of that retrograde cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And just also, every media outlet was like talking about it constantly. Yeah. Right. And it's. I also think the the beginning of that story is so fascinating that um, Bill Clinton first met Monica Lewinsky at his birthday in 1995, which was on the day of a Sun Venus exterior conjunction and Leo conjunct his Sun and conjunct her Venus. Right. Yeah. So it's part just part of the broader Venus cycle and the conjunctions with the Sun. In the um, synodic cycle, the important relationship between the sun and the Venus is kind of at the core of this. And even though we're often focusing on the retrograde period itself, which is when Venus is really far away from the sun, at the very core and the very heart of that is actually the the conjunction with the sun. Yeah, and and there there are also five exterior conjunctions between the sun, of Venus, sun and Venus, just like there are with the interior conjunctions with the retrograde. Uh, so you've actually got two five-pointed stars that have a sort of some perfect symmetrical overlay. Um, the, the, the exterior conjunction in 1995 on Bill Clinton's birthday happened four years after and four years prior to a Venus retrograde interior conjunction in the same place. Uh, in the zodiac in 1991 and in 1999 so um there's this eight-year sort of facet to the venus cycle uh, uh with regard to perfect returns but there's also a four-year uh um sort of operation where you get these uh um opposing parts of the cycle uh, facing each other in time 
Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I talked about this previously last fall in an episode with uh, Ariel Goodman, where which was titled The Venus Star Point Cycle, which is what she calls it. And you can find that on its episode 371 of the Astrology Podcast, titled The Venus Star Point Cycle with Ariel Goodman. Um, yeah. So anyway, so that's an example, and we'll move on from that. But just the significance of that, that were, for people that weren't around at the time, was just that this scandal broke, and then it, it ended up dominating and being the focal point of a large part of the remainder of Bill Clinton's presidency and legacy. And he was also eventually impeached for it, which was a notable, important way that it impacted his career and and sort of legacy. And even though he stayed in office and and it didn't end his presidency, it ended up becoming sort of like a blemish on his his presidency in some ways um, during that time. So it was a pretty significant event. Although immediately at the time, his popularity actually rose, like he actually rose in the polls. I mean, I, I agree in the long term, it's very damaging for him. Uh, but during the presidency, his, you know, he actually reached, I think, a peak in popularity after it was. Well, over. but it so, wasn't because okay. like people were endorsing that. it was because he denied it initially. And right. I think people weren't clear what the truth was or what was going on. And um, yeah, but it, it was just a major event so that it wasn't just a natal event for him necessarily, but it was also something that kind of like the entire country and US oh, yeah. and the, you know, different decisions even potentially that the US was making at that time, even, you know, some have speculated, I don't know if that's true, but even like militarily, whether there were decisions that were made that were partially connected with that or or resulted from it and things like that. Mm. Um, but it was a whole, whole thing that happened anyway. So that's, one example of types of things that can happen sometimes under Venus retrogrades. Um, other things that are notable in terms of mundane things is sometimes, um, Nick, you talked about tastes and like yeah. what is in good taste or what is bad taste. Um, and that can be a very Venusian thing. So sometimes like changes in trends or things that become trendy can be relevant, I think, during Venus retrogrades or around the time of Venus retrograde transits. Um, so one of the ones we've talked about is that um, Nirvana released Nevermind, which kicked off the grunge sort of fashion era, as well as a huge change just in music, uh, music and fashion. Um, and that was right after uh, a Venus retrograde period ended, I believe, right? Yeah. And it was it was the result, part of the reason of the explosion. I mean, it was an excellent album, but um, in that summer, just prior to the album's release, or, or not long, not too long before. I, I, it might not have happened specifically in the summer, but it started to really change things in the summer. Um, was there was a change in how record sales were monitored and how records reached the charts? It went from being uh, done just sort of uh, uh, you know eyeballed by record store managers uh, to being sort of uh, you know digitally scanned. You had the barcode and and a record was scanned, and so every sale was registered. And that so there was this sort of reality check that the music industry had where they realized that um, the records they were trying to promote and they the records they were saying were like the number one records on the charts weren't selling as much as say, uh, you know, uh, underground rock, you know, pre grunge um, or or hip hop and, and then older people were listening to more country music than they thought Garth Brooks's ca- career got a similar boost to Nirvana for this very 
uh, same sort of change in the in the technology. So it just it 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 completely revolutionized the industry. So it's there. There's the the fact that yeah, Nirvana had this hit album that sort of came out of nowhere and um, changed the aesthetics of rock music. You know, everyone had been wearing what what we called hair farmers. There's hair metal. These guys with all this hairspray and these like you know acid wash jeans, and then suddenly overnight. You know, everyone went to flannel and ripped jeans and you know, sort of dirty hair or dreadlocks and tattoos started becoming fashionable. Right. Um, well, it was the know, end of the end of like the 80s type yes. rock era yeah. in, in many ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and I think you said that they recorded the video for their hit single, Nevermind. Or, or smells like, smells teen, like spirit. teen Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that was during the retrograde. That was during the Venus retrograde in Virgo, which was um, Kurt Cobain's rising sign, and and yeah, maybe maybe later we we when we're talking about perfections, we we come back to that. Yeah, so that that's a perfection example too, because he was in a Venus yep. perfection year. Yeah, he was twenty four, so he was in a first house perfection year. So you had Venus going retrograde in his rising sign as you know as they filmed this video which was um i mean for those of you who haven't seen the music video it's uh, set in a high school a sort of dystopian high school gym uh with these sort of anarchistic cheerleaders and the janitor mopping to the music and all this and and the video sort of erupts in a riot so it's it's also sort of venus retrograding in in that uh, the the relationship between the 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 band and the audience is is completely blurred uh, and merged rather uh, by the end of the song. Sure. So this is the same Venus retrograde in Leo that we're about to have. It's part of the same cycle. If you take it back in eight eight year increments, uh, I don't know how many how many years is that uh, since now nineteen ninety one, uh, thirty something years. But also one of your points 32. is that thirty two years. Okay. Multiple um, of eight. It's a multiple of eight. It's always a multiple of eight. So. Right. So, but one of your points, this, even though one of your points is that Kurt Cobain, and maybe we could just mention it since we've already, we're already talking about it, but he sure. was born with Virgo rising and the Venus retrograde that summer, it's stationed retrograde um, in Virgo. Yeah. Quite early it, Virgo, basically opposite his son. Mm. So not, not quite on his ascendant, but in his, in his rising sign. So, you know, speaking in terms of perfections, it was, yeah, it was. And and it's and it's interesting because if you think about it, the, the the retrograde in those days went from Virgo to Leo. These days it just happens in Leo. Um, but he was in a first house perfection year, and the Venus retrograde went retrograde in his rising sign, but then it retrograded into his 12th house, which, if you think about it, really reflects his story in terms of his relationship to stardom and fame. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, like, like he right. had a very sort of 12th house ultimately, like, sure, he made this great album and he wanted people to like it and he made the video and hoped it would be a hit. But the thing he got in the end sort of pushed him back to the 12th house. Like, whoa, I can't handle this. Right. Well, he's somebody that always had that tension of on the one hand, he wanted to be a famous musician and like pushed for that earlier in his life and strived for that. But then also he was a very um, sensitive and somewhat shy type of person. And so when he when they released that album, suddenly he became one of the most famous and sought after people in the world and, and somebody that suddenly became the face of like his entire generation. And he was completely kind of like unprepared for that level of like fame and stardom. 
Yeah, and and coming back to the matter of taste and distaste, um, as a as a you know, I'm only a year and a half younger than than he was, and so we we've all got the Pluto, Uranus, and Virgo in the, in that generation. Um, we, we, the we Gen Xers, especially from that little period of time. Uh, we're just mortified by anything commercial or popular that, you, you know, it, and so there was this whole thing, like, I think part of it for him was he found it distasteful to be sort of involved in the music industry with sort of, uh, you know, other elements that that he found distasteful, um, you know, like having to go on awards shows or, or any of this kind of stuff that wasn't necessarily... Um, it didn't suit his aesthetic, you know, which is another great sort of Venusian word. Um, so yeah, you know, the whole thing, he was he was changing the music world, but also the music world was sort of changing him uh, and not necessarily as positively as the, the other way around. Right, yeah. Um, so, and that goes to your point about when, if a Venus retrograde happens in your rising sign, sometimes that can be a really important year and really important sure. turning point in your life. Right, and if you write a if you write a biography of Kurt Cobain, exactly that you know the uh, starting starting a new chapter with you know filming the Teen Spirit video and the release of Nevermind and everything that changes is a perfect illustration of how that uh, kind of thing works. Yeah, uh, and in this case, this is actually someone that you know people do write biographies about. And what were the dates on that retrograde? Uh, just in general, do either of you in the have summer, those? In the summer of '91, it would always be. It, it, probably it was early August, August first, August third, something like that, up until sort of you know uh, second week, third week of September, second week of September, forty days. Right, yeah. and then with the shadow periods that extends it on either side by like a exactly. few weeks or a month. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's very striking. And so, yeah, the point, and then let's just do the perfection. So what perfection was he in again? Uh, the first house, he was 24. Okay. So this is an example of that. We'll come back to later that yeah. um, if the Venus in annual perfections, where you count one sign per year from the rising sign, and it'll highlight an important sign for you that year. Um you can use that sometimes to determine if a Venus retrograde is going to be more important for you. Because one of the things is if, Venus goes retrograde in the perfected sign, that is going to mean that that Venus retrograde may be much more personally relevant for you than it might in other times. Exactly. Right. Cool. All right. So that's a good example, an example of sometimes trends changing um, in connection with Venus retrogrades. I don't know. Do you want to briefly mention that other example, Patrick? Um uh... So eight years before the release of uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit, um, there's this movie, Risky Business, starring Tom Cruise, um, that uh, premiered on August 5th, 1983. And uh, it's a fairly risque movie. <laughs> uh, it uh, certainly uh, in, uh, contains many sort of Venus retrograde themes. But one of the interesting things that came out of that movie is that because Tom Cruise was so um, sort of charismatic uh, in this role. Uh, the the company that produces the sunglasses that he wears in the movie, these Ray-Bans, um, ended up uh, sort of being able to turn their company around after the release of that movie because everyone wanted to emulate how cool he looked. Um, and uh, because he because he wore some sunglasses in the yeah, movie and yeah, pop popularized those. Yeah, yeah, these Ray Bans that today we think of being really basic, but at the time it was like this sudden, uh, you know, fashion icon thing. So you sometimes see this with Venus retrogrades, uh, where maybe a certain um, 
movie star or a certain musician or movie comes out that that sort of kicks off a new trend in 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 fashion yeah. or in art styles or musical right. styles and you know there are uh, the, it's it's kind of a complicated thing to study you know we can't give a comp- comprehensive uh a history of uh you know art and yeah, fashion but, and but culture it's, but, it, but it's, it's the kind of thing that it's it. all over the place when you, yeah exactly it's all over the place when you see it but uh, that's exactly it when you know the talk about the sort of consensus when a bunch of people start wearing ray-bans or a bunch of people start wearing flannel shirts and torn jeans when yeah a few months earlier they were wearing hairspray and acid wash you know like that's that's venus retrograde changing the now, consensus we're no longer speaking, this we're now that <laughs> speaking of venus retrograde but, okay. but sometimes also the opening of that can initially because it goes against the grain and it stands out and it's it's different initially there can be some reaction to it um that's like a pushback or is like no like like that's weird or like that looks odd or is different from what we're used to and and some people can find it distasteful yes. but sometimes with the venus retrograde it's like there's enough people that find it different and interesting and unique partially because it's different that it represents something fresh that there is sometimes a groundswell or there's a there's a breaking point where something becomes popular at that point that maybe either wasn't previously or that's right that that had fallen out of popularity and then comes back from the past yeah yeah which in in many ways you know that the advent of the whole grunge phenomenon is is a bit of both of that some of, it was somewhat retro active you know there, there were some elements of it that recalled uh you know 60s counterculture or the punk counterculture certainly of the 70s and uh, early 80s um but then it was also at the same time you know utterly fresh you know and and uh and completely different from anything that had existed before and it had elements of both those at, at the same time but you're absolutely right i mean you, you still hear like you know, any musician who was in one of the hair metal bands that were sort of outclassed by grunge, they still complain about how Nirvana ruined their lives and their careers and everything. Right. Well, the right. perfect like, iconic like trade-off that happened at that time was between like Kurt Cobain and like Axl Rose, who, yeah. you know, no band represented sort of 80s rock more than Axl Rose and uh, Guns N' Roses. And then all of a sudden, Nirvana comes out and and sort of like yeah. takes o- takes over and and becomes the new thing of for, yeah. for that point forward. Yeah, although I would say like I mean Guns N' Roses until Nirvana came out Guns N' Roses probably were like the band that was starting to do what Nirvana would do a lot more thoroughly which is to sort of take hard rock back from this sort of, you know, uh glittery hairsprayed um um totally, you know, um uh, sort of shallow um uh hair metal stuff that was really mm. popular um, by the time you get to like the uh to 1999 eight years later then it's like the rise of the boy bands and pop princesses oh yeah yeah, yeah you know yeah. <laughs> that yeah. whole I, sort of not not yeah you know 1999 is like the summer of britney and all that and and, and, and saying Chris, christina aguilera yeah christina aguilera all of them yeah yeah absolutely so it's all yeah it's that fresh new thing that comes in so yeah i think like like guns and roses felt like you know nirvana were stealing the the revolution from them if you will right so and this is really important because sometimes it's like pop culture has really important and tastes and change in taste has really major impacts on people's lives sometimes in ways that's subtle um i was watching i saw this video that came up in my feed um i'm trying to find it now about i can't but it was just listing like 
um, the popularity of different um, babies, girls' names in different years, and how sometimes you just see like those years where like all of the states, a bunch of them, all of a sudden there's a name that takes off that becomes like the most popular name for like the next several years. And then like, you know, tons of, of babies are named that name. And sometimes it's as a result of like, you know, some name being popular in pop culture for some reason. Or the reverse, you know, like with the name Karen or something like that, <laughs> you know, unfortunately. Right. Sure. Like a name, uh, like falling out, out falling out of popularity if yeah. like something not great happens. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah. Like in the, you know, 60s, Bob Dylan was popular and suddenly Dylan became this name that, you know, parents named their boys, you know. You, you don't find a lot of guys named Dylan born in the 1950s. You find, you know, a fair number born in the 60s and 70s. Right. Yeah. You've got a lot sense. more Khaleesi's after 2010. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Right. Yeah. Game of Thrones. Right. After yeah. Game of Thrones. And yeah, yeah, that's a good one. All right. So that's a major trend and that could show up in a number of different areas that we won't get into, but it's something to pay attention for in terms of changes in tastes and, and the popularization of different things. With Venus retrogrades, um, another one that you wanted to mention, I know, Nick, that's notable from a mundane standpoint that affects lots of people is that you've noticed that like peace treaties come up sometimes yeah. during Venus retrogrades. Yeah, um, you know, the, the, um, the, the peace of Paris that ended the American Revolutionary War was signed about 27 days before Venus went retrograde. So it was in its shadow period, the pre-retrograde shadow. Um, this, uh, you know, uh, um, Robert E. Lee's surrender at Appomattox that ended the U.S. Civil War occurred about seven days before Venus went retrograde. Um, the the surrender of the Nazis after, um, you know, um, uh, you know, in, in World War II uh, was signed the day Venus stationed retro or stationed direct rather it had been retrograde. It was stationing direct the day that the Nazis surrendered. Um, and then even things like uh, the, the the October Missile Crisis, which uh, wasn't a treaty or a surrender, but it was, it did lead to, although, you know, it was this crisis, it led to this new sort of uh, understanding and cooperation uh, between the United States and the Soviet Union vis-a-vis -vis nuclear weapons, resulting in 10 years later, the signing of the first, the, the SALT-1 treaty uh, between Richard Nixon and Leonid Brezhnev, the first treaty to sort of ban any kind of nuclear weapons use. And that was also during a Venus retrograde this, this time in Gemini. Um, so intensification of Venusian peace. Yeah, yeah, uh, no, it really right? does. I mean, because, well, I mean, the thing about these these situations, I mean, again, you come back to the basic theme that, that you know, Venus is changing the consensus. We were at war and now we're at peace. We were about to blow each other up and now we're like, hey, maybe that's not such a great idea after all. Um, so yeah, even in that sense, uh, very much. Um, now, of course, not every Venus retrograde results in a peace treaty. Um, lots of wars, you know, sort of uh, uh, can begin during a Venus retrograde or, or intensify during a Venus retrograde. Uh, but what is pretty consistent is they often tend to end during a Venus retrograde. Okay, that's a good one. And we'll come back to that theme later uh, with some examples I know, or some more examples. Um, all right, I want to take a little break right now, and then we'll transition into the next section about looking at natal charts and Venus retrograde as an important uh, turning point in people's lives. If you appreciate the work I'm doing here on the podcast and you'd like to find a way to support it, then please consider becoming a patron through our page on patreon.com. In exchange, you can get access to bonus content that's only available to patrons of the podcast, such as early access to new episodes, 
the ability to attend the live recording of the monthly forecast episodes, our monthly Auspicious Elections podcast, or another exclusive podcast series called the Casual Astrology Podcast, or you can even get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode. For more information, visit patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. All right, so we're back from break. Let's transition at this point into talking about um, how Venus retrogrades can coincide with important events in a person's life and important turning points um, when it lines up with their natal chart. So um, some famous examples, I know um, one of them that was notable is um, when Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie got together, two actors during the filming of the movie Mr. and Mrs. Smith in 2004, that this was connected with the Venus retrograde, right? Right. Um, well, at that time, Brad Pitt was very famously married to Jennifer Aniston. And so that's what makes this a Venus retrograde story. This wasn't just the bring together of two actors who like each other on a film. Like this is, you know, uh, Brad Pitt's uh, pivotal turning point where he, you know, uh, the principle of desire is elevated. He makes this choice. He, you know, he falls in love with uh, Angelina Jolie, you know, and uh, even though he's already in this other relationship, uh, he you know can't help himself so, so it's like he's presented almost with like a choice i guess it's like he had to make a choice at that period between those two people and went one way rather than another uh sure sure so um the the actual timing of this is that the filming of this movie took place between january 5th 2004 through april 22nd 2004 and Venus entered the pre-retrograde shadow on April 13th, 2004. So we can see that towards the end of the filming of this movie, this is when we start getting into this Venus retrograde type territory. And then actually the first reports on uh, and this affair uh, came in May of 2003, uh, shortly after filming had wrapped. There were these photos that had been taken and... Um, Venus station retrograde in Gemini on May 22nd, 2004. And what's interesting is we can see how the, the story sort of um, uh, develops uh, from there because eight years later, when Venus returns to make this retrograde in Gemini, that's actually when Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt got engaged to be married. So we know that this Venus retrograde uh, should be important. It's just very, it's it's very sort of classic Venus retrograde, an extramarital uh, affair. Um, right, and I think and the, in his the, birth chart he has Sagittarius rising. So this Venus retrograde in Gemini was in his seventh house of relationships and partnership and marriage. That's right. Yeah. So it was crossing his descendant. Um, another also interesting... would have been opposed to his son, right? Uh, yeah, the, the retrograde would have been quite close to being opposed to Sun. The station might have been exactly opposed to Sun, as I recall. Um, another interesting dimension to all of this, uh, Jennifer Aniston was born about 34 days before a Venus retrograde station, and her progressed Venus stationed retrograde right around April 2004 when her husband is running off with Angelina. Right. Also interesting in Angelina Jolie's chart is she has the sun roughly opposite Brad Pitt's. 
So Venus went retrograde conjunct her son in her natal 12th house. Right. And this is probably as <laughs> she's talk you about know, star-crossed lovers. Star right. I mean, theater. you know. And the, there was I mean the whole reason Pitt and Jolie were paired in this movie Mr. and Mrs. Smith in the first place is they were you know, arguably the two most beautiful celebrities of the time, you know. Um, and just, and also like leading blockbuster, I mean, I mean, like yeah, leading blockbuster were, actors and actors in terms of like the top of their respective, right. um, yeah, in their field. Yeah, it, it totally had this sort of feeling of star-crossed lovers. It, it you know, it, it made sense. You felt bad for Jennifer Aniston, but there was something about this union that made a kind of... Um, yeah, had had a logic to it, if if for want of a better word. Right. Well, it's funny, even that movie, like Mr. and Smith is Smith is it's a funny Venus retrograde type movie because it was like they're <laughs> it's both, a married couple, they're assassins and they're trying to kill each other, but they're married and <laughs> well they they get together and they don't realize that each other are both spies and assassins okay. and that they both have the these secret lives that are they keep from each other and their marriage starts falling apart because it starts getting boring and they start drifting away. But then they re realize that each of the other is leading these secret lives. And then they start fighting each other and like trying to kill each other, but then later make up at the end and, and fight together. And that's the end of the movie. What an un unpredictable ending. Holly, <laughs> it's an Hollywood stuns us. <laughs> I mean, it actually wasn't, it's one of those, it was one of those movies that didn't have a great ending. It was like the first three acts, first couple of acts are fine, but then the ending they had a, it was a little, little weak. Although yeah, it's I've... a little interesting that that was the plot of the movie as well, considering that they've unfortunately now in more recent years, they've been at odds. Um, they've had uh, lawsuits against each other and, and, yeah. Uh, you know, battling over custody of their children together. And so it's unfortunate uh, that, you know, things have taken sort of this darker turn after they uh, got engaged. They were together, they were yeah. together eight years and then got married, uh, got got married. <laughs> then they, they only stayed married for like two years, even though they've been together yeah. a lot longer than that previous prior to that. But that is notable, and so that is a recurring theme, just the fact that, as you said, they got together in the Venus retrograde in Gemini, um, but and then they were together and had a relationship, and it was a very high-profile relationship, and they um, had kids together, and then eight years later, when Venus goes retrograde in that same sign, they actually decide to finally make it official and get married. Yeah. yeah. Another okay. little sidebar about Jennifer Aniston's chart, uh, I believe she's Libra rising and the divorce with Brad Pitt was finalized at the Sun-Venus exterior conjunction in Aries in the spring of 2005, which happened in her seventh house. Um, right. so and, which, and she has natal Venus in, in yeah, Aries. exactly. Which, as I you said, stationed yeah. retrograde in her seventh house. But right she also has Saturn in the seventh house, so we can also see you know, how you know, there's some pain there as well. Yeah, right. And, uh, with the Venus, yeah, Venus think, transit think, on Saturn. I think, I think Brad likes women who have Venus and Saturn co-present in a sign. This is, <laughs> Maybe Brad's something. Brad, yeah, Brad's got a kink. Crazy. Brad's got a kink. <laughs> um, so I thought that was. Yeah. I think that's a really good example of a sort of classic Venus retrograde story being, uh, being almost tempted kind of by Venus and mm -hmm. and. Um, you know, not being able to turn away, you know, from Venus, Venus, Venus retrograde is seductive, you know, I mean, that's, that's temptation. part of how this can, this, this, yeah, it's temptation and it's, it's, it, it's exciting, 
you know um it's very naughty <laughs> <laughs> naughty yeah, I mean, well um, you know when when i mean yeah it's it's those periods when when the naughtiness runs amok sure that's sure. gonna be the new slogan for this venus retrograde we'll, we'll put so, up we'll, we'll start making coffee mugs with that uh, slogan i've been looking for one yeah so in other so that's very obvious because it's tied in with relationships it's tied in with his seventh house and other things like that but in other instances in terms of venus retrogrades they can also sometimes just represent a really important turning point in a person's life for different reasons um so one of my favorite examples of that was um tim berners lee the guy that um invented the world wide web uh he actually launched the first website um, around the time uh, within a week basically just after Venus had gone retrograde in the sign of Virgo um, and just that idea of like the World Wide Web and how it's like connecting people together um, through these different through websites basically and how that became so important for him and um, yeah it was launched just after uh, Venus retrograde uh, in Virgo Wow. That reminds me a lot of how Facebook first got really big during the Venus retrograde of 2004. He released in February 2004, but the greatest period of adoption among colleges, you know, was really in that uh, May to June period of 2004 uh, and during that Venus retrograde. And that was actually the transit of Venus across the face of the sun, like an occultation or, you know, perfect alignment with Venus going across the face of the sun. And there was this enterprise, which ultimately like, uh, united a large group of people together as like friends as part of a network so yeah it's that's really a great example nick uh chris rather yeah all right so that is um an example of venus retrograde and how it can show up as important so one of the questions then becomes how do you know if a specific retrograde will be important for you and how do you know how the retrograde will manifest in your life or in what area so um Let's talk about Venus retrograde natally first, um, because sometimes one of the things that's important is if a person has Venus retrograde natally in their birth chart, or if they were born under a specific Venus retrograde cycle, sometimes that can mean that that retrograde will be more important for you. So first off, how do you determine if Venus was retrograde when you were born? What's a good way for doing that? Uh, yeah become an astrologer and learn how to read an ephemeris um right uh sorry that, that's that was, that's the snarky version of the answer um that was our previous episode that patrick and i did just a year ago was how to read an ephemeris uh which was episode 304 of the astrology podcast actually it wasn't a year ago it was two years ago so people can google that how to read an ephemeris and you'll find episode 304 of the astrology podcast a fine episode that was too so with that, you can just get an ephemeris and look up the year and the day you were born and look to see if um, Venus was already retrograde or if it was stationing around the time of your birth, then that means you're born with Venus retrograde. Yeah. Or even if you're you're anywhere close, then you know, you know, your 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 progress chart might have gone in, you know, might have a Venus retrograde in it, even if your natal chart doesn't, if you're born a little, like Jennifer Aniston, for instance. Um you know, or even if you're a little bit after Venus is still moving very slow after the direct station, and it's still like notable to 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 be aware that you're born just after a planetary direct station. Another yeah. way you might check is to use astrological chart calculation software. 
you're looking for usually a little red symbol that looks like an RX. So that's like another a way you might tell. symbol. Yeah. 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 Um, so that's what it sort of looks like. Uh, I don't okay. know what it looks like if you're using like an app like uh, Coast Star. I, I don't use it myself. Astro Seek is very good on on describing mm -hmm. Venus cycles, um, you know, in considerable detail. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend astroseek.com. Got it. Okay. So um, let's talk about some examples of some people that have retrograde natally in their birth chart. One of the themes that sometimes seems to come up is that theme of like going against the grain, going against social consensus, changing social consensus, um, or sometimes just things that stand out as like anomalous or or kind of odd a little bit or, or different, let's say. Um, so one of the chart examples I know that we wanted to mention first was Demi Moore. Um, and here is her chart for those watching the video version where she was born with Pisces rising and she has the sun and Neptune and Mercury in a conjunction in the middle of Scorpio along with Venus. And she was born right in the middle of a Venus retrograde cycle with Venus retrograde at 20 degrees of Scorpio conjunct the sun at 19 degrees of Scorpio. So a day before the interior conjunction, in other words. So you guys keep mentioning interior and exterior conjunction, but that was never explained. Could you explain it briefly what that even means? Yeah, we, we kind of explained it, but uh, just more specifically, um, the Venus retrogrades occur when Venus is closest to Earth. So when it make, when it passes between Earth and the Sun, we call that an interior conjunction because on that two-dimensional pie chart that the Sun and Venus will be occupying the same zodiacal degree. Uh, whereas when Venus is on the opposite side of the Sun, uh, it makes what we call an exterior conjunction in that pie chart because Venus will not be retrograde, but it, it'll make a conjunction to the sun. They'll Some occupy, people like to call... occupy the same degree. Um, yeah, there is actually the, the funny enough, the, 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 the correct, the astronomically correct terminology is superior and inferior conjunction. So what I'm calling the interior conjunction, they would call the inferior one and, and exterior would be superior. Um, ironically, like a, a number of astrologers prefer this other terminology because it's more uh, precise, you know, uh, uh, interior, well, you know, depending on, I guess, because a, a, a superior and inferior have uh, uh, you know, different hierarchical they're, they're, connotation. They're, they're, they have that connotation that they're, they're terms that, you know, are multivalent and can mean different things. Whereas exterior and interior is very sort of specific. Like, you know, you're either on the opposite side of the sun or you're on this side of the sun. And what we're talking about primarily are the Venus retrogrades, which involve the interior slash inferior conjunctions. All right. So um, going back to Demi Moore, so she was born with Venus retrograde and one of your points there, Nick, is that so because she was born at the Sun-Venus conjunction with Venus is retrograde, Venus is actually closer to the Earth during that time. Yes. Yeah. Venus is is just about to pass directly in, you know, between Earth and the Sun is what's happening and, and, with that. And in and in some rare instances, when Venus lines up with the Sun, not just in longitude, but also in latitude, you can actually see Venus. The body of the planet venus yes. like move, move across the face of the sun i think one of those happened in like 2012 right yeah 2004 well, and 2012 
Yeah, but Patrick mentioned earlier the 2004 one. So 2004, 2012, and then prior to that, it happened in Sagittarius in 1874 and 1882. The chart of Winston Churchill um, is is pretty close to one of those occultations. Um, yeah, it, it happens every now and again. So maybe that's that could be another reason from an astronomical standpoint why there's like this almost intensification, it seems, of Venus's significations during a Venus retrograde, because Venus is actually um, not just conjoining the sun, but is closer to us um, than at other times when, for example, yeah. Venus conjoins the sun, but is is hidden and is further from the Earth. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Venus is never closest to Earth as it is when it's retrograde. So. Okay. It's part of the reason part of the reason it looks like it's going backward part of the reason for the um what is effectively a, a sort of a visual trick um because it's done through perspective venus right. is not actually making a loop it just looks like it is because of where we're watching it right i think people often liken that to the effect of like when you're on the highway and you're passing another car that's moving slightly slower than you and you have this visual phenomenon of the car starting to move backwards, even though both of you are still moving forward on the, the highway. Yeah, yeah, that's a good. But it's good a meaningful it. illusion. <laughs> yeah, that's it's one of the points. It's important illusion. Uh, in, right, in the, the guy in the car the things, next to you moving backwards isn't, yeah. Sorry? It's one of the things that people don't understand sometimes that um, astrology looks at um, observational phenomenon in the sky from the perspective of the observer and the different unique movements of celestial bodies in the sky that they make has a symbolic importance on earth both in general as well as personally or individually in people's lives and that um, it's the symbolic interpretation of celestial events that's important um, and people get tripped up on that and think that sometimes because it's just an apparent phenomenon that that means it's not important but that's actually not the case no, no, not at all. I mean, look, it's it's every much uh, every bit of a law of physics that you know the universe has no real center. That you know any any point in the universe can be a center, and therefore, if you know the horoscope is cast in exactly that spirit, that you know a, a given individual or or event in a in a specific on a specific date and time uh, um, has a perspective. Everything is effectively revolving around that that person or or that that place. And this is what uh, an astrological chart maps is, is the appearance of things from a specific perspective. From the perspective uh, and the, and of, the, of the observer. Yeah, if, if you, exactly. So, you know, if it's a nativity, um, you know, every, the, everything from the perspective of the new human being who has just arrived. Right. Okay. All right, cool. So let's get into Demi Moore and um, yeah. how is she a good example of um a native that was born with venus retrograde um she's she was always sort of um provocative uh um as uh you know as a as a movie star i mean you know hollywood in itself obviously uh, um is quite a sort of venus retrograde type of institution it loves to seduce us and it loves to start new trends and you know there's a lot of things that tie in with it but uh demi moore is you know someone who was both sort of a superstar uh but at the same time sort of bucking the superstar uh uh you know uh treadmill if you will she was sort of doing things her own way 
and um, and you know, in a, in an age where uh, um, women were, you know, sort of starting to to take on new types of uh, um, roles in cinema, ones that that had more of sort of independence and depth to them, as opposed to merely being sort of someone's some actor's leading lady. Um, yeah, she she sort of she she had a very sort of uh, you know a, a much a much stronger uh, sort of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A much a much stronger personality, I'd say, in a way. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember like one of the things when I was growing up was when she did that movie like G.I. Jane, where she was playing the role sure. of like a, a woman trying to get into it was like the marines and yeah. shaved her shaved her head and that was like almost i don't want to say like controversial but it was like a, a unique somewhat controversial yeah. um aesthetic sort of thing where she was going against the grain of normal um social conventions or like gender roles and yeah. stood out as a result of that that she was kind of like willing to buck the the social trend or the the uh, beliefs at the time about what what I don't know things were supposed to be like. Yeah, I mean the movie itself has a sort of Venus retrograde strange to it, right? I mean women weren't typically allowed in the Marines, and then there's a change in consensus, and suddenly some women, you know, the movie depicts this this very change uh, um, going from right. being, uh, you know an all male institution to suddenly this introduction of a of a woman into this. Uh, yeah, it's a very basic sort of Venus retrograde thing. And, and right. we've, you know, we, we found a, a, you know, I'd say like to my mind, you know, the first thing I think of when I think of Demi Moore, um, and this is something that occurred during a Venus retrograde, doesn't really have anything to do with any of her movies. Um, in the summer of 1991, um, as you know, the same summer that that uh, the the Nirvana video was was filmed, uh, when Venus was going retrograde in Virgo, um, she appeared on the cover of Vanity Fair, naked and pregnant, um, and she's sort of you know she's covering herself, but she's visibly naked and visibly pregnant, and it sounds really sort of basic and and boring today, but it was incredibly provocative at the time, and people you know it was the kind of thing she was really good at. It sort of uh, uh, provoking the norms and 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 um, getting a reaction out of people and doing something that that you know had not been done before and sort of setting a trend. I mean, today it's like you know probably there's probably been dozens of women who have had photos taken of them <laughs> naked and pregnant, but at the time it really was it, it looked it was revolutionary in the mainstream. Um, so the, there was that event in 99, uh, 1991 um, when Venus was going retrograde. And yeah, some of her other movies, I think, you know, there's a number of sort of Venus retrograde themes in films she was involved in. Um, Indecent Proposal, which came out in the spring of 1993 during the Venus retrograde in Aries. Uh, in, that's a movie she's in with Robert Redford and Woody Harrelson, where she plays Woody Harrelson's wife. And Robert Redford is this mysterious millionaire who offers this couple who are struggling for money a... You know, I think a million dollars in exchange for a night with the wife, uh, with with Demi Moore. So, so you know, that's oh, decent. What an indecent proposal! What a Robert Redford! How dare you? I um, mean, it is Robert Redford. I think that was yeah. the, that was the like <laughs> that was the gamble in the early '90s. As everyone was like, "Well, it is Robert Redford." Right, right. Um, another one was was uh, striptease in. Um, well, hold on, but with that oh. one, and then the, the, at the end of the movie, she end, ends up getting together with Robert Redford. I think that was the conclusion, oh, wasn't it? Does it? You're, you're, 
throwing in all the spoilers. I, I'm the movie's okay. 30 years Sorry, old. I wasn't supposed to, just the premise we're supposed to say but, we just ruined you know, I, the 30 year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, if you haven't seen it by now, it, you know, I guess it's okay. But all right, yeah, well, sure. we better skip the Star Wars discussion then later if we can't do, <laughs> can't do spoilers because otherwise I've got some news for <laughs> the people that haven't seen it. Okay. Well, I, you know, I just don't, don't ruin it for me, but I hope Luke and Leia wind up, you know, getting together because they seem to have a great chemistry. Yeah. Um, in that first movie. Yeah. No, another um, Demi, another Demi Moore movie that came out during a Venus retrograde was Striptease uh, in 1996 during the Venus retrograde and in, in, that went from cancer to Gemini at the time, or just in Gemini by that point. Um, yeah. In which she, um, I, I wanted to see it, but it wasn't allowed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was allowed, but I didn't want to see it. <laughs> I was, you know, uh, I'm from Montreal. Like, yeah, it was, you know, um, it's the land of strip bars or it was at the time. So it was like, uh, why would I go see a movie? Um, so yeah, um, that was another one, uh, that was provocative and I, I, I didn't, I never saw the movie. So I, 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 think she's supposed to be like a, a housewife who starts stripping or something like that uh, i could get it wrong but um, another yeah. interesting way that she kind of lived out venus retrograde a bit was um in the early 2000s uh she got together with ashton kutcher and they were together for eight years again there's that interval again of venus mm -hmm. um and he was 15 years younger than her um she was in her 40s i mean no judgment but at the time there was that was seemed it was a little spicy you know she's like it was uh you know i mean he was obviously he was an adult obviously there wasn't it wasn't any kind of impropriety like that but it was it was seen as a little um you know risque and and that sort of typical venus retrograde uh type of uh quality of of kind of pushing sort of a, a boundary but yeah they do get they were together for for eight years mm. um they didn't get together in years of a Venus retrograde, but it just corresponded to that that sure. interval of Venus. Sure. So it's probably like the and, uh, and Ashton's Ashton's now with Mila Kunis, who's also a Venus retrograde uh, birth, I believe. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Ashton yeah. Kutcher himself was born with the Sun conjunct Venus in, in Aquarius, but yeah, superior. But, yeah, but um, but direct. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, so the the flip side to the to the retrograde indeed. the wheel turns <laughs> the wheel turns yeah so that's a good one so that's a good example of maybe somebody that can do things that go against um gender norms or social conventions or other things like that um another example that we we're going to mention was um jody foster mm. um was she was also born during what a venus retrograde in scorpio yeah, she's born very close to Demi Moore. I think they're a few days or maybe a week apart at most. But you see a real, you, you see you see the Venus retrograde in Jodie Foster, but because it's in her 12th house, um, you, you see it in a 12th house sense. Um, Jodie Foster is an actress who uh, has, has uh, been provocative in her own way, but not at all in, in the same way that Demi Moore was. Um, uh, Jodie Foster, you know, she first became famous uh, in, in, you know, for playing Taxi Driver at the age of 12. Um, then there was another movie called The Accused, which is a really, I mean, it's a good movie, but it's a, it, she plays a victim and there's a very sort of graphic scene in there. So she she had this sort of uh, courage to take on roles that I'm, I'm sure like a lot of actresses just, you know, wouldn't want to touch. Um, 
and and also just you know she's she's again she's um she sort of sets her own course um she, you know she went on to become a director and and uh, uh has a very sort of independent uh, uh she has enough star power that she could exercise enough sort of independence as an artist, as a cinema artist, to, to sort of um, um, do the work that she wanted to do. Um, but yeah, like the, you know, for her, that that stellium with the, the, the Venus retrograde in Scorpio is in the 12th house. And she's, um, she's not sort of, you know, she's not Demi Moore. She would, you know, I can't imagine Jodie Foster being sort of naked on a magazine cover, you know, pregnant sort of thing. She's not provocative in that sense. Well, she's uh, much more private in terms of very yeah. things in general, and and especially about that those that area of her life. I think she's famously like reticent in um, interviews about um, like what her orientation is or what her, what her sexual yeah. orientation is, and she's famously very private about that. Yeah, and you know she's also again thanks to that Taxi Driver movie, she's also famous for having been stalked by. Uh, John Hinckley, who went on to try to shoot, well, he did shoot uh, Ronald Reagan uh, in a bid to impress her, because in the movie Taxi Driver, Robert De Niro's character uh, uh, attempts in a, a political assassination, and yeah, there was some sort of link there. Um, and it's you, 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 I've seen a number of it, interviews with her, and yeah, anytime she's she's she handles this so beautifully. She's very, um, she obviously prepared herself. Uh, and and she's obviously been asked these questions just so many times she knows how to how to answer them. But anytime someone, uh, yeah, invades her privacy with regard to her sexual orientation or if they want to talk about John Hinckley, she's, you know, she doesn't get nasty, she doesn't get short or anything, but she very effectively, you know, controls that that uh, dialogue and and veers it away from these subjects that are really nobody's business. Yeah, just to make well, sure I everyone that's knows. Really... What... Yeah, because I want, I want to dwell on that point of what happened, because it's like one of the things that it's like a oh, really yeah. major major event in her life. And, and that is very, yeah. you know, important in terms of that's she has right. that Venus retrograde at 16 degrees of Scorpio. It's in the 12th house, which is the house where you can sometimes find, you know, problematic characters or not for her, but it's sometimes the place of like enemies or people that you don't get along with or people that cause problems or hardship or trouble in in your life um and the venus itself is conjunct neptune and it's also squaring mars which is at 17 degrees of of leo and widely squaring saturn which is at six degrees of aquarius um while still being under the beams of the sun because it's about 10 degrees from the sun so what happened is like in 1981 there was this crazy guy that tried to assassinate and try, it did successfully shoot the president at the time, Ronald Reagan, and he nearly died. And I think other like secret service people were injured or I think there was one that was actually killed in the process yeah. of that. Right. Yeah. That, that's yeah. The, the Brady gun bill, I think um, is related to that. Um, so, yeah. And, that... and he had, and by the time he shot Reagan, like he had been, I forget if she went to Yale or, 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 you know, one of the Ivy League schools, but he, he went to the campus where she was studying and stalked her there. So like, he, yeah, I mean, the, the, by the time he shot Reagan, she knew very well who he was and, and she had already had a huge problem with him. Um, right. So she's like a victim of stalking and of this crazy guy who eventually yeah. did something really terrible. And then she gets, you know, wrapped into it because of supposedly his, his obsession with her 
Um, so that's a very notable thing. And, and one of the things I noticed that was really striking about that is her Venus is at 16 degrees of Scorpio, and we actually have his chart. Um, and if you look at his chart, he has Venus at 12 degrees of Taurus opposite to her Venus and his Saturn at 16 degrees of Scorpio. So he has a, and also Pluto for that matter, at 24 Leo. So he has a Venus Saturn, Venus Saturn opposition, and his Saturn is exactly on her natal Venus at 16 yeah. degrees of Scorpio. So that's why, in some ways, that's why that that position is even more important. And it shows you how sometimes it can tie in Venus retrogrades and stuff. It can tie in through synastry and other contacts in terms of the the people who can activate some of those placements sometimes in our lives. Absolutely, you know, for, um, for better or worse. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's right. You know, I think that's a really great example in her chart of how the it's that principle of desire, which is sort of distorted, not just through the retrograde, but then its placement in the 12th house of enemies, and then even into kind of madness with the uh conjunction to Neptune, that it characterizes an enemy of hers who is driven by their like desire, but it's not wanted, it's unwanted attention. You know, well, from, yeah. uh, from an enemy because it's like venus's desire but sometimes when you connect other planets especially like like pluto he has that pluto square and you get like obsession obsession and um you know stalking and things like that it's just interesting interesting that it comes from um distorted malefic i mean distorted benefic you know uh like desire gone wrong you know right or or <laughs> or like you know, that's a good point. I mean, the, the corruption of otherwise positive traits of Venus of like love and affection and attraction and things like that, that have positive manifestations, but like those same qualities can be distorted or, um, you, you know, into something that can be really dark. Yeah. And important for people to remember that because it was in a 12th, it wasn't about herself necessarily. It was about this other figure in her life. Yeah, sometimes the houses don't represent you. Like the first house usually represents you, but the other houses sometimes represent other people in your life or around you and can manifest sometimes in other people coming into your life that play the role of that placement or the role of that transit. Yeah. I mean, what did she do? She she starred in Taxi Driver, which, you know, uh, alerted this guy to her presence. But, you know, the... Uh, making a movie is not an invitation to that kind of um, attention, um, but that's about right. as that that's about as much agency as she had in the whole situation. Is that right. uh, six years earlier she had filmed this movie and yeah, uh, one job yeah. many yeah. All right, so that's a good example. It's another being retrograde example. It's a more challenging one. Um, I want to skip to one. Um, Muhammad Ali, I know, is one famous. Um, Venus retrograde example that ties in with that theme of like going against the grain. Very much, very much. Um, Muhammad Ali was born with Venus in uh, retrograde in Aquarius, right on his descendant. And, um, you know, we're not going to go into his biography today, but I, you know, for those of you who are interested in Muhammad Ali, uh, his bi biography is just jam packed with Venus retrograde events. Uh, three of his four marriages occurred during Venus retrogrades, just like, you know, that's a little just sidebar. Um, but I think the one example we're just, we're going to focus on now is how he got into boxing, right, Chris? The, is that the, I mean, we're just going to talk about his natal Venus first. 
and we we were just going to talk about his natal Venus first and just establish okay, the theme sorry. of how yeah. he goes against the grain and and he's a really sure. easy example of that. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, you know, he uh, when he became a world heavyweight champion, Venus wasn't retrograde in that instance. That was in February of 1964. Um, but right. it sort of it, it it was not too long before the Venus retrograde that went from Cancer to Gemini and, and sure. sort of the way he exploded on the scene. Um, you know, first of all, uh, you know, until he won that first world uh, championship, uh, the, the heavyweight championship in 1964, he was known as Cassius Clay. That was his birth name. Uh, but he had, uh, for the past year or so, been involved with the Nation of Islam, the the, the same uh, sect that Malcolm X belonged to and Sam Cooke. And um, he, had, he had changed his name or, or his name had been changed, I think, by Elijah Muhammad, the leader of that uh, of that sect and um to, to Muhammad Ali, but he declared it to the world. He kept it a secret until he won the championship. And that's when he sort of told the world that he had this Muslim name. Um and then when he was 24, just turning 24, and and um when Venus was retrograde about to, you know going it had been retrograde in Aquarius just like it is in his natal chart. Um this is when his um draft status uh Wait, you know the, the, what, what was oh. the significance of the first one why is that important oh um because um the nation like of it, islam the, the the nation of islam is a is a black nationalist institution right and so hold for on, him i'm not talking oh. about that i'm just talking about oh, okay. like imagining or explaining it to somebody from a another country that doesn't know who muhammad ali is or doesn't know the, the social oh, context I, of it's like it, it became controversial and like a for whatever majority Christian nation for him to change his name and adopt a different religion and then to be very vocal in promoting that. Yeah, yeah. And, and a religion that to the perception of white America uh, seemed really hostile to white America. So there was, there was the, you know, um, that was the perception of it. So, and, and so here's this guy, he was already sort of this, you know, arrogant young kid. Uh, he was the kind of athlete I think that a lot of people love to hate, you know, um, although he, you know, he would become immensely popular uh, as time went on. But, um, you know, it was just so jarring uh, um, to, I mean, you know, 1964 white America was was uh, pretty, pretty conservative. You know, the, the Beatles were only just happening that same month. So that's, you know, the world was changing in all kinds of uh, amazing ways. So yeah, it was just, it was really jarring. There, there, there's this longer history of, of um, heavyweight boxing in America and, and race relations and, and how black boxers were supposed to act or not act. And there was this whole code that had been, you know, sort of uh, developed. Uh, Joe Lewis, who had been an, an earlier champion, had, had you know, uh, sort of uh, towed a certain line socially. So talk about sort of disturbing the consensus, talk about changing the rules. This is very much something that Muhammad Ali did. Um, I, I, I mean, sort of most, most broadly, um, he sort of rewrote the rules, uh, you know, changed the consensus in terms of how athletes were supposed to behave and particularly how black athletes could behave. Mm -hmm. um, you know, did any anything that 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 has you know followed vis-a-vis uh, -vis sports and race relations in the US, you can really, you know, see um uh, uh, an amazing starting point with with Ali's um you know ascendance. 
uh, right. and, you know, what, and, and an incredible career. So, you know, I've. And just to share yeah. the chart with the audio listeners, he had, he was yeah. born with Leo rising and um, he has Mars and the mid heaven and Saturn and Uranus all in Taurus in the 10th whole sign house. And then they're all ruled by Venus, which is retrograde at 20 degrees of Aquarius over on the degree of the descendant at 19 Aquarius conjunct Mercury and the moon. Yeah. And that Venus of his is in a mutual reception with Saturn. Um, you know, so it's this, this Venus Saturn square that, that, you know, should, should be sort of daunting, but, but in fact, really, really works in his favor. Um, well, allows and him... square, square Uranus also at the same time. Sure, sure. But I'm talking about the, you know, the, certainly the, yeah, the, the two of them together, but the fact that you've got the mutual reception between Venus and Saturn, I think really, yeah, uh, uh, sort of, you know, turns that square into, into something uh, magnificent. Yeah, the mutual reception is a major mitigating factor, and it became something he was able to use in his favor. And so going against the grain and um, sometimes not maybe rebelling to a certain extent in that way or doing things differently became part of what he was known for and in some ways worked for him sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he was certainly he, he had his haters in white America, but, you know, when he eventually went to Africa to fight George Foreman in 1974, He's this huge icon for for uh, people of color everywhere on the globe, uh, because of the way you know he he asserted himself and and uh, and you know the, the, there was no getting around his you know he was a formidable athlete. He wound up winning the the heavyweight title three times, uh, um, you know. So just never, I mean, to his detriment ultimately, because you know I think he the the broad consensus is that he he was in the sport longer than he should have been because it it damaged his health at the end of his life but he you know he he sure went as far as he could go right so and, and and other instances of him challenging social consensus were that he famously didn't um go into the army even though he was drafted yeah that's right and that's what i was alluding to earlier and this this began during a venus retrograde in the same sign he has his natal venus retrograde um in january february 66 um he had already been declined for the there was a military draft because of the vietnam war and he had been declined for that draft because uh he wasn't a very strong reader ironically uh even though he was you know kind of a he had an amazing sort of diction and and uh, he was a fascinating speaker um he wasn't actually like you know technically very literate and that had disqualified him from the military but i think because or you know this is the inference is that because of his uh you know um venus retrogradeness the, the you know because he was this uh, uh vocal black nationalist um um you know muslim and et cetera et cetera um that there was a bit of a conspiracy to to sort of undermine him uh, so his draft status was changed to, to 1A, making him eligible for the draft in this period in 66. And that resulted in a, in a court case that um, uh, ultimately, you know, he, he did not get drafted, but he was stripped of his heavyweight title and sort of, you know, um, everything he had spent his life working towards was taken from him for no good reason other than... Um, not wanting to fight this war. So this was a so really, Malefics in the 10th. <laughs> yeah, the Malefics in the 10th. And, and um, you know, this made him a pariah in, in mainstream America. And, um, you know, he, he struggled for a few years. 
and uh, then eventually, you know, uh, uh, managed to get his through another court battle, managed to get his right to to be a boxer uh, restated, and worked his way. He had to spend a few years doing it, but it worked his way towards winning his second heavyweight title, and. Um, uh, yeah, which, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, you know, you can go on and on. It, like I said, yeah. he eventually won it three times and all this stuff. But it's it's um, uh, in so many ways. I mean that 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 battle over the 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 draft, you know, um, the tr- transported. He was he was already this mega famous athlete, but it made him, you know, now a, a sort of a political icon as well. I mean, he's one of the defining. I mean, that really what puts him in the history so. books, really. I mean, yeah, even- yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, a boxer is a boxer, so. right? Yeah. I <laughs> right. mean, not, not, not to, you know, I mean, athletes are, you know, amazing for what they do, but usually they, you know, if they're really good. They set a record and then someone comes along later and breaks their record and, you know, they're, they're in the sports history books and not much, but he's, yeah, he's a much more than just an athlete. He's absolutely um, a political uh, icon. Social icon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's the guy who could, you know, beat anyone in a fight, you know, but wouldn't, Kill anyone at the direction of the state you know that's exactly yeah powerful yeah. <laughs> well that was you um, know um we, we we can't quote the the, the famous line uh, but it, it was basically, you know, like, why would I go shoot? This is what he said the day that right. the, the draft was changed is why would I go shoot the Viet Cong? They've never called me names. Right. You know? um, so yeah, which was obviously true uh, to our knowledge. Right. No one in Vietnam ever disparaged the man. So like, why should right. he go shoot them and bomb them and all that? So um, right. yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I think is coming up or that we're starting to see come up over and over again is people that go against the grain and do something that's controversial or goes against social conventions at the time. But then sometimes as a result of that, they stand out and they end up setting the trend or setting a new social convention as a result of their own almost like rebellion or pushing back against it. Exactly. I mean, <clears throat> when when he was fighting the draft, when they were trying to draft him and he was fighting it, the Vietnam War was still kind of po- you know popular. I mean, 66 was sort of early, so there wasn't as much protest. There was it would only be around 1968 where like you know the country at large would would sort of uh you know give up on on the war or or change their view on the war, which in turn made it easier for him to reclaim his right to box. A little after that so yeah he was he was ahead of the the time it you know um when he first did it people thought you know he must be nuts what he's some kind of traitor he's not a patriot blah 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 this and that whereas within a couple of years everyone's like no no he's got a point you know he's got a point yeah well that brings up the other example and maybe we could mention briefly that theme but um ellen degeneres was was somebody or is somebody that has venus retrograde in aquarius conjunct the sun um, and I know, you know, early on in, in like the mid nineties, her, her coming out as gay was like, um, a major thing at the time. And, um, even though now in retrospect, like 30 years later, for example, you know, that's not, that's been normalized. And so it doesn't stand mm-hmm. out as being, um, that striking back then it, it did, but in the process, it also kind of helped set, the stage for things and to change things um, and set the trend or, or at least change the trend up to that point. Yeah. It cost um, her everything to do that. You know, I mean, she lost, she lost her show. She, she really lost her career. How so explain, that. explain that. Uh, because, well, she, because um, she had her own show, Ellen and her character on the show 
actually came out. That was sort of part of the way that she yeah. she did this, and and you know viewership tanked after this happened, and uh, there was this perception that you know that this is all the show was about, and the, the uh, pop culture climate of that time, the, the the cultural climate at that time was very still very you know anti-gay, and it was you know a few years off before you know there would be such a rapid you know, popularization or acceptance and embrace of, of, uh, of gayness. <laughs> and um, the, uh, so she, it took a lot for her to, to work past it. She, she came up with this standup a few years after that happened. It was like a big sort of comeback uh, standup where she like did this interpretive dance <laughs> at the beginning to sort of creatively show how she went through this sort of period of going through this uh, terrible ordeal of sort of losing everything and then sort of rising, you know, from uh, the ashes to, you know, go on to have a very successful career as a, as a television show host. And I think, um, you know, while that's sort of become more complicated and, you know, more recently in recent years, uh, I think, yeah, it's still, she still stands out as a really good example of someone who, you know, yes, yeah. uh, yeah. you're exactly right. Someone the, who took the, that, that episode was a big deal when she did well, it and, and it did sort of come against her, but in within it's like with Ali within a couple of years, it was all sort of like, Oh, you know, so what <laughs> you know? Well, people, right. people who were ahead of their time. Um, that seems to be, that's a very close parallel then between the two of them in the same way that he was like against the Vietnam war. And then later that position would become even more popular, but sometimes being at the crossroads between the turning point of opinions, perhaps, and and those people sometimes being the focal point or the pivot point around which um, some of those things turn. Yeah. Not as if they're when obviously- When culture like the, becomes the, a morning star <laughs> or- uh, yeah, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's one way to put it. Yeah, but and not as if they're the the only ones, obviously, because we're not trying to put like too much on a singular in e either of these two singular individuals, but they do become one important like cultural um, in example of of that cultural turning points when things are changing. Mm -hmm. All right, so that's pretty good. Um, There's only like one other example in this section that were were like a weird one natally i think that you wanted to mention nick which was the the jack nicholson and eric clapton one who both have oh, yeah. venus retrograde yeah um jack nicholson the actor and eric clapton the musician um are um they both have venus retrograde in aries and both of them have a a, a very peculiar um origin story um both men uh, were raised thinking their birth mothers were their sisters at the at that their grandmothers were their birth mothers. They were both born to single young unwed mothers who were and and then raised by their grandmothers thinking their grandmothers were their mothers. Um, and and in Nicholson's case, he only found out like uh, when Time Magazine was doing a story about him when Chinatown came out. So he was already like one of the most famous movie stars in the world. And his mother and 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 grandmother were already dead. They had, they had gone to their graves without telling him the truth. And it was this reporter from Time Magazine who had to tell him, actually, Jack, uh, your, your, your family story isn't quite what you think. Uh, Clapton, I think, found out earlier than that. I think by the time, you, you know, he was famous, he knew the truth. Um, but you know, um, single motherhood, uh, was, was very taboo. Um, 
you know, I myself was born to a single mother, but, uh, you know, uh, it was just as it was kind of becoming normalized. Um, but in their day, you know, Nick Nicholson was born in 1937. Clapton was born in 45. This was something that that could uh, get you, you know, for want of a better term, canceled back in the day, you know, in the neighborhood, uh, the neighbors would think terribly of you. And, and and they would think terribly of the family, not just of the girl, you know, there was a failure, there's a whole sort of um, disgrace on the on the on the home. Um, so in so both that these was cases, why that was the motivation in, in Jack Nicholson's to, case. In in both their cases, that you know, that I think that the grandmother pretended to be the mother to to give the whole thing an air of respectability, um, and and you know, which which was not uncommon. I mean, Jack Nicholson and Eric Clapton are not the only two people this happened to, um, but they happen to be famous for other reasons, and therefore we know their stories. Yeah. So that and that's interesting, just in terms of. You know, sometimes classically or in ancient astrology, the significators like Venus representing like women in a person's life and just then their their relationship to women or to their their mother figure in that instance, having something unique or having something anomalous about it, basically, again, as as going back to that theme. Yeah, well, both of them found out their sisters were their mothers you know yeah that's um, pretty yeah. wild so it's it's a it's a yeah um talk about changing the consensus you know um yeah wow. so jack nicholson for the audio listeners he has leo rising and venus is retrograde at 24 degrees of leo conjunct aries the mid or sorry yeah that. aries yeah. thanks uh 24 aries conjunct the midheaven at 22 aries um and Venus is squaring Jupiter at 26 Capricorn and squaring Pluto at 26 Cancer, which is kind of notable. And Venus <laughs> is ruling not just the degree of the IC at 22. Um, I mean, that's actually part of it. That's really funny, actually, just to yeah, give that right. blend. The between... third house and the IC are yeah. <laughs> coincide. Yeah. People, people Sister sometimes was his mom. People sometimes ask like that question. They're like, because you know, we've always had that rule that we always tell you, which is like sometimes when the degree of the IC, degree of the MC falls in a whole sign house other than the 10th, or when the degree of the IC falls in the whole sign house other than the 10th, it can import fourth house topics. In this, <laughs> this is so literal. <laughs> the right. sister is the oh, mother. Oh, dear. <laughs> the mother is the sister. And the, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it's it, quite it literal. Imports, imports fourth house significations into the third house, in this case, very literally, and with Venus retrograde. And all the things it's configured to, it does so in an anomalous way of having that that switch up there, basically. Yeah, I Jack Nicholson also just you know as as a a celebrity as an actor, there's there's something quite Venus retrograde about him as well because he's he's not classically handsome, um, and um, he's not you know he's not generally someone that you 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 want to see play you know wear the white hat and be the hero in the movie. He's he's a great sort of antihero. He's he's. Uh, uh, you know, he's at his best when he's sort of playing a rogue or, or you know, a villain or something of that nature. I mean, that's and we love that. We love, you know, the 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 more sort of contemptuous his character is, the more we we just love the way he plays him. You know, um, I don't know what but, you're talking about, Nick. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for all the audio listeners, that was, that was my uh, yeah, Jack that, Nicholson impression. Oh, was that supposed to be Jack Nicholson? Yeah, oh, okay. that was. Yeah, that was. Let's <laughs> get the eyebrows anyway. Yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> uh, so I, I like that you use the word anti-hero because it's like it's ruling his his Leo rising is the Sun conjunct Uranus and Taurus and Mercury also in Taurus and that's his tenth whole sign house and then he has Venus 
you know, there on the midheaven, but it's in Aries, which is the sign opposite to its domicile. And I've been playing with that term, like antithesis is a translation for the original Greek term for mm. a planet in its detriment, um, because it has that notion of being opposite or anti to its its normal significations. And that's a funny, it's funny that you use the keyword anti-hero there, and that could be a good um, keyword for detriment as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, the, the the hero being sort of someone who's supposed to, um, yeah, have a have a purity and a and a and a goodness and good intentions, and then there's there's, there's sort of this there's the flip side of that the the seduction of of the the wicked, you know, and that's the you know that that's Jack at his at his absolute best when he's being wicked, you know, yeah, betraying someone wicked. He's really a pretty decent guy who goes to basketball games all the time but you know on screen that on screen person he's joker he's yeah, uh, torrance shine, yeah the, yeah jack torrance and and you know all that stuff hey um i pulled up a definition it says a central character in a story movie or drama who lacks conventional heroic attributes or yeah. anti-hero um all right so that's interesting and also tied in with the venus retrograde and then eric clapton um just pulling up his chart really quickly so I can give the data on that, was born with Libra rising and Venus is retrograde at two degrees of Taurus in the 12th house. Um, and it's squaring his midheaven at one degree of Leo and I see it one degrees of Aquarius and also his Pluto at eight degrees of Leo. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like I said, I think he found out the truth much earlier than Jack did. Like Jack was well into his mid thirties, almost in his forties when he found out, um, I forget when Clapton found out, but it, it would have been, you know, quite a bit before that. Um, and I think, I mean, the, the other, the other sort of anecdote I can tell about Eric Clapton that relates to Venus retrograde, um, is the fact that he fell in love with his best one, best friend's wife and, uh, eventually married her. And, is that um, George Harrison? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. You know, I mean, the um, uh, Patty Patty uh, Harrison, uh, Patty Boyd was her birth name. Uh, she married George Harrison during the Venus retrograde of 1966 in Aquarius. Um, she's, you know, she had, George Harrison wrote the Beatles song "Something for Her," which is a pretty amazing love. Some people say the greatest love song of all time, right. but then Eric Clapton wrote, you know, the greatest sort of. Uh, a longing for love song uh, for her. Layla is is about her, and right. it's about the fact that he was madly in love with his best friend's wife. Um, uh, you know, unfortunately, he did eventually marry her, and he was like a real jerk to her, which I can never understand. Um, I've read her autobiography, and it's really amazing. And uh, I I don't think so highly. I you know he's an okay musician, but I don't think so highly of him because of that story. But um, you know, it's it's Layla is quite a song, and uh, yeah, he wrote it for her. And this you know he was he definitely you know almost totally came apart when he couldn't have her at first. He sort of descended into heroin addiction and really fell apart and uh so you're saying the friends... prince venus the principle of desire is retrograde in the eighth house in his chart yeah yeah so exactly like he wanted, sort of goes a he wanted, yeah he wanted what he couldn't have um you know um he and george both have these early scorpio moons mm -hmm. and it was really you know as time went on that you know george and eric called each other they were husbands-in-law <laughs> you know uh like it didn't it didn't sort of screw up their friendship at so all nick george... you could say the song Layla is really something. 
Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, thanks, Watson. Thanks. <laughs> Bad jokes. All right. So to he's a dad that, he's allowed he's got a license oh yeah. to dad you're really getting into the dad jokes <laughs> leading into him um anyway to summarize some of the main points here from this section about natal retrogrades we were talking about people go, who go against the grain who go against or buck social consensus or social conventions but then sometimes as a result end up helping to change it um, people who are ahead of the time and also this little one of the last keywords we came up with is things are like switched up a bit um, people, either people who switch things up or people who have things that are switched up in that area of their life. Um, one of the things I want to mention is that sometimes when you're born with Venus retrograde, then it means that at some point in your life, it will go, it will station direct by secondary progression. And that can be re a really big year or a big turning point in the person's life when Venus um, stations by secondary progression. I think you mentioned one example of that earlier. Yeah. Did you? Gen Jennifer Aniston, uh, Brad Pitt left her for Angelina Jolie when her progressed Venus was stationing retrograde. Okay. So she was born with it direct, but then it, the that yeah. marriage kind of fell apart when Venus stationed retrograde by secondary progression. That's right. She was born like 34, 35 days before it went retrograde, which corresponds to 35 years, which is the age she was when Brad left her. Got it. So that's a good example. Do you can you think of any offhand that are people that were born with Venus actually retrograde, and then what happened when it stationed direct by secondary progression? Uh, not offhand at the top of my memory, but maybe I can quickly look and come up with something. Sure. Uh, I mean, I can sort of tell you about what happened when my father, who had Venus. He was born before oh, yeah. my father was born before the retrograde. And so and I remember pointing Venus, that out to you. I yeah. Her, that out yeah to you, Nick like in pointed 2006 and 2006. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Venus, yeah. Nick pointed this out to me just offhand, like without even having an ephemeris on hand, sort of like he was in a human ephemeris or something. And uh, that's crazy talk. Yeah. My father was born. Um, my father was born just before a Venus retrograde in Aries. And when Venus stationed retrograde by secondary progression, that was the year that um, he had this big affair on my mom that like kind of caused a lot of turmoil in our family life. And things were never really the same after that. They sort of held on for a little bit afterwards, but eventually my parents uh, split up. But that was, but the year that his Venus uh, progressed to its uh, retrograde station, that was that was when uh, his life really kind of took on a different um, trajectory, you know, because of uh, yeah, because of this affair he'd had. It might have been. I I don't want to take too much credit, but it might have been that that night. I remember it was that summer of two thousand six, and I pointed that out to you. But that might have been the moment when you were like. Yeah, this Venus retrograde thing is really worth looking into. That that might have been that that moment. I'm not sure. Oh, I was I was taken with you, Nick. You you had me at Venus. Um, okay. I yeah no, I I thought that was extremely impressive. Um, did okay. you did you find anybody in looking things up, Nick? 
Yeah, yeah. I just looked up Muhammad Ali because that was an obvious one to go through. Uh, he was born 36 days before Venus stationed direct in his chart, which corresponds to the year 1978, which is the year that he lost his heavyweight title and then regained it for the third time, which really was like that really was sort of like no one expected that he had already, you know, won it, lost it because of the draft thing, and then, you know, struggled to work his way up again like a good Capricorn and won it again. And then he he lost uh, uh, to Leon Spinks and and people thought, well, he's over, it's all over and, and you know, he's going to retire and this and that. And then he, you know, it was like, there was, uh, yeah, nine months between like the, when he lost the title, it was during a superior slash exterior conjunction. And then nine months later at the Venus retrograde in Scorpio in 78, uh, so during a, a Venus retrograde transit, his progressed Venus was stationing direct. And that's when he made this, you know, really astounding comeback. Um, it, it really should have been his last uh, uh, match, but it wasn't, you know. Um, okay. Yeah. So, but it, it's, so it's, the, it's the cherry on top of, you know, for his career, like to do it a third time was just, you know, he was already a legend. He was already, you know, this, this just, you know uh supreme athlete and and to do that just was yeah yeah so that's something people should pay attention to if you're born with a natal venus retrograde finding when venus will station direct as being a hugely important turning point in your life um all right i want to take a little break before we move into the next section just a few minute break and then we'll we'll regroup the astrology software that we use and recommend here on the podcast is called solar fire for windows which is available for the PC at alabe.com. Use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we recommend a software program called Astro Gold for Mac OS, which is from the creators of Solar Fire for PC, and it includes both modern and traditional techniques. You can find out more information at astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code astropodcast15 to get a 15% discount. All right. So um, one of the things I wanted to mention is one of the things I'm noticing that seems to be coming up a few times a recurring theme, but this, I mentioned earlier, this theme of like switching sides um, and making a choice to go from one side to another. And I think that does have to do with the fact that Venus, you know, starts somewhere at the beginning when it stations retrograde as it starts as a evening star but then it changes sides when it retrogrades, conjoins the sun, and then emerges on a different side. And there may be something to that that's actually really crucial that, that we're coming up to over and over again here sometimes with yeah. often people that are literally switching sides and making a choice and moving from you know one partner to another, um, but sometimes otherwise making choices like that where met with two options, they go with one option or another, but that there's a fork in the road and a choice to of having to make a choice of which one to go down. Yeah, it certainly has to do with crossing a threshold. I mean, making a choice is is certainly part of it, but I think it's sort of it's really entering a new. It's kind of like walking into a new room, you know. Um, uh, the, 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 the the renewal element to it, I think, is is the the central thing, which which will involve making choices. But I don't know. I think the choice is more sort of a consequence than than like directly related to it um you know sure like in in brad pitt's case it involved making a choice i suppose uh but not for jennifer aniston you know it's just something that happened to her um right yeah well being on the 
on the choosing end of a choice versus the receiving end of a choice. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. So let's, all right. So let's move into the next section. So one of the things I want to focus on is that sometimes people born with Venus retrograde respond more to transiting retrogrades. And that's something we've talked about um, a little bit just in terms of that coming up, but we have a few other examples we wanted to do. Um, one of them was um, Reuben Hurricane Carter, who was born with a natal Venus retrograde. And then one of the interesting and notable events that happened to him is that Venus went retrograde the summer that Bob Dylan recorded a song about him, which brought a lot of attention to his plight as somebody who was falsely imprisoned. Yeah, that's so, right. Could you set um, up the story on that, Nick? Sure. Reuben Carter uh, was a boxer. He was born in 1937 with Venus retrograde in Aries, um, same period as Jack Nicholson. And um, yeah, one day the, the someone was shot in a bar in New Jersey. Was uh, I forget who I, I I used to know the story perfectly. I have a chart wheel, but it's been a while since I saw it. But anyway, some someone was murdered, and he was he was uh, tried and convicted of the murder. Um, but uh, you know he was he was um, you know not responsible, and uh, there was a. A mounting, eventually, a mounting campaign to to uh, retry the case and and get get the man some justice. But it was um, after like many years at that point, right? He was he was the, the I know the murder was in June of 1966, and by the time Bob Dylan gets involved, it's 1975. So it's like nine years already since the murder when um, when Dylan records and then re-records the song Hurricane um, for his he Desire album. And here's the chart for the audio listeners. He has Leo rising, his ascendant is in Leo, and Venus is retrograde at 19 degrees of Aries um, in his ninth whole sign house. And the degree of his midheaven is up at uh, 28 degrees of Aries. And his Venus is widely squaring uh, Pluto at 26 Cancer and Jupiter at 27 Capricorn. Um, as yeah. well as maybe may relevant being co-present with Saturn at one degrees of Aries. So um, the notable thing about this is that when his story started becoming more known and and we have Bob Dylan recording that song, I think you said that it was a, that was the summer of like a Venus retrograde in Leo. The the first, yeah, he, he recorded the song twice. Um, the first time he recorded it was in July of 1975 as Venus was getting ready to go retrograde in Virgo to Leo. Um, and then he wound up re-recording the song in October, not too long after the Venus direct station in Leo. Okay. So that's another instance of that principle that you talked about earlier. On the one hand, the principle that we're illustrating with this is sometimes people born with Venus retrograde, um, important events can happen to them under Venus retrograde that are important turning points in their life. And then the other principle that we've already mentioned previously, which is that especially if Venus goes retrograde in a in your rising sign or in a prominent part of your chart, that's one of the ways to know that that retrograde is going to be really important for you. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. that's it exactly. Um, and what was the effect of Bob Dylan recording this song about him? Well, I mean, it you know, it, it turned it, I mean, you know, it was still like another 10 years away before he would, uh, you know, eventually sort of... Um, uh, get get the hearing he wanted um and he he would eventually be emancipated i think 
God, it, it, I think it was even over. It might have been close to like 20 years later or 10 years later. Yeah, it was a it long was like time. 20 it was years a, total. Yeah, you know, it was a long, long time. So the song, the song didn't have an immediate. So, you know, the song didn't sort of like get him out of prison the next day um, by any means. Um, but it, it really, you know, it took this relatively obscure uh, uh, you know, murder case and and made it a um, a huge cause. You know, anyone who who listened to Bob Dylan suddenly knew who Reuben Hurricane Carter was. Uh, it's a fantastic song. You know, it's one of Dylan's best, in my opinion. Um, so you know, it's just and and it, it was yeah. very catchy. It was played a lot. It was it was you know and and it was it it was on an album that was kind of a you know a, a sequel to a big comeback album. Bob Dylan was himself becoming relevant again. So it, it just it. You know, it was it was a tide that lifted both their boats in a way. Um, so, so one of the most important, one of the, one of the most um, famous or popular musicians of the era wrote a song, and it drew a lot of attention to this case that otherwise would have been obscure or would have, um, you know, not been known about and made it almost like a household name. Yeah, yeah. My understanding, I, I forget. The, it's been a while since I read the story, but there were some uh, there were some people from Canada. Um, who sort of became sympathetic to him and really campaigned on his behalf. And that's how he did eventually get released. Um, whether or not the Canadians who helped him, you know, were inspired to do so because they heard the Bob Dylan song uh, first, I, 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 I can't recall. But, you know, that was the thing. Suddenly, you know, you, you had far more people aware of his situation and therefore, you know, it was... It, 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 you know, could very well have contributed contributed ultimately to his release. If nothing else, it certainly, you know, um, made him a cause celebre. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So that's a pretty good example. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So moving on, I wanted to mention um, how the actor Mark Hamill, Hamill who played uh, Luke Skywalker in Star Wars, he was born with Capricorn rising, and he was born the day that Venus was stationing retrograde in Virgo. Direct. Uh, or sorry, yeah, direct direct in Virgo. My apologies. So it was coming out of the retrograde, but it was a stationary direct Venus in Virgo at two degrees of Virgo on September 25th, 1951. And um, when the first Star Wars movie was released, which made him sort of a household name and also um, became the thing that even today, even though he's done a lot of other acting and, and voice roles, it's still the thing that he's known for to this day is playing Luke Skywalker in Star Wars. When Star Wars was first released, Venus was stationing direct also basically pretty closely. What, what day was Star Wars released? May 25th, 1977. Here's I mean, I'd also say it's probably important for George Lucas as well, who was born with Venus rising, not retrograde, but you know, what, yeah, like we're going to get a centered person. <laughs> I, I, I want to get know. to George Lucas. I, I have a few things to say. He's later on the list. We'll get to George. So yeah, um, here is the release for Star Wars, and the sun is over there at uh, four Gemini, and Venus is at twenty Aries having just stationed so it's literally it just came off of the venus retrograde and venus is stationing direct so it has almost the exact same phase um relationship as in mark hamill's chart in terms of um stationing direct at the end of a retrograde yeah it's like a sort of phase parallel if you will right yeah. which is 
almost like a like a recurrence transit in a way. Yeah, yeah. And it was sort of, I mean, the, the, I think the interesting thing about that is, you know, most of the people involved in the making of Star Wars, really including George Lucas himself, thought it was going to be a flop. You know, um, George Lucas was sure he had just, you know, ruined his career. Um, but, but Hamill, it seems, really sort of had the vision. I mean, I don't think he knew it was going to be what it was. But he seems to be like the the one who who didn't you know think the movie was ridiculous, who sort of you know took the whole thing seriously and and served as a sort of you know cheerleader of sorts to Lucas, you know. Whereas uh, like the making of Star Wars was incredibly difficult for him, and um, you know I think some of the actors, you know Alec Guinness, uh, uh, Neven Harrison Ford were sort of like you know what is this thing? You know they weren't necessarily you know they were doing their job and they were taking it seriously as professionals, but I don't think they, they thought they were in anything, you know, remotely uh, important or special. Uh, but, but Hamill seems to have, you know, been different in that regard and, and really had a sense of it. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's a good example. Uh, and then one last one in this section, going back to Muhammad Ali and the beginning of his career as somebody right born with venus retrograde he also had a really important early event in his career that coincided with the venus retrograde as well that's right um basically in in october of 1954 uh cassius clay as he was known at the time uh was a 12 year old boy uh with a bicycle in louisville kentucky and he was with a friend and he parked his bike i think outside this community center and um when he came back out, the bike was gone and it was, uh, he was really upset. You know, it's not like it was a, a cheap bike. It's not like his family had a lot of money to replace it. And he got really upset and he went inside. There was a policeman, I think, inside that community center. And so uh, young Cassius went to report this theft. And uh, he mentioned that he wanted to, you know, beat up the thief. And uh, the policeman uh, turned out ran a, was sort of an amateur boxing teacher who actually hosted a local TV show for young boxers, like young novice boxers to have matches against each other. So by November 12th, which it can't be more than a couple of weeks after this bike theft, um, Cassius Clay found himself on television in his first ever boxing match. Um, and because he is gonna become Muhammad Ali, you know, 10 years after this, um, we know that this is an important event. Um, at the time, he's just a 12 year old who's on local TV getting into his first boxing match, but it's, it's the, which it's is the still beginning. huge. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, he's, yeah, it's a big deal to be 12 years old and to be on TV. I, I yeah, imagine. even localized without the knowledge yeah. of the rest of his career, we, he probably would have considered that to be a huge thing at the time, even then, but knowing it, in the broader context, obviously, it's also important as a sequence. Yeah, um, it turned out he even won that match in a decision. So like it wasn't a knockout or anything, but he won it. Um, but yeah, uh, it, you know, it's a big deal in and of itself. Uh, but then taken in the context, you know, with the rest of his career, um, that was a really important, that was Venus retrograde in Scorpio. Um, and, you know, he's Leo rising. He's, you know, got Aquarius on the descendant, as we saw. Um, so that retrograde in Scorpio would would cross his IC. Um, okay, so know, that's really important because it's one of his angles, and then it's aspecting all of his angular fixed sign planets, which are all of them. Yeah, a stellium in Aquarius, and a stellium in in uh, Taurus, and even some planets and some stuff in Leo. 
Right. And it's, wow. um, and ironically, it's um, 24 years later to the month in 1978 during another Venus retrograde in Scorpio that he has that third match I was describing earlier where he won the heavyweight title a third time. So that, that was also a Venus retrograde in Scorpio, right when his progress Venus would be stationing direct. So there's even, I mean, this is the beauty. This is, this is how I often work, use uh, Venus retrogrades and Venus synodic cycles in consultations is that you can take this event in 1954 and, and directly connect it to this other event in 1978 and, and fathom the, 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 the link between them. You know, take someone's chronology and just find these two sections that you know have a connection to each other. Well, it's, um, book, it's booking ending his entire career. Yeah, well, not yeah. I mean, he like I said, he did wind up boxing a little further. He had his very last boxing match as Venus was getting ready to go in Aquarius, where his natal Venus retrograde is. Like I said, this guy's just got Venus retrograde all over his life, but I don't want to complicate things. So it wasn't the end of his career, but it was the peak of his career. It's when he should have, uh, uh, you know, ended anyway. Yeah, I mean, still basically yeah. bookending his career. His boxing yeah, career starts and then sure. he hits and peaks his final last hurrah and peak becomes yeah. that last one in the same retrograde. So that's, that's demonstrating like multiple points at this point that we've talked about, like one natal Venus retrograde, and then person born with natal Venus retrograde, sometimes retrogrades can be more important for them subsequently. Um, that sometimes when it's hitting prominent stuff in the chart, the retrograde can be more important for you. And then also um, that Venus retrogrades in can connect things in eight-year increments when venus goes retros, retrograde in the same sign sometimes there can be um echoes or connections with things in the future from the past that's right sure okay so that actually is a transition point in our next section and that's the next section we're going to talk about was that um every eight years venus goes retrograde in the same spot in the zodiac and sometimes um, this will act. This will always, often activate the same part of our chart, and sometimes, if you want to know if an upcoming retrograde is going to be important for you, all you have to do is jump backwards and look backwards in eight-year increments. And if you responded strongly to previous Venus retrogrades, then this heightens the chance that the next one in that same area, or that same spot in the zodiac, will be important as well. So, and that example with Muhammad Ali is like an example of that. Um, so sometimes the same topics um, will be activated because it's going retrograde in the same spot in the Zodiac. So we remember, for example, the Brad Pitt example where um, he got together with Angelina Jolie when Venus went retrograde in his seventh house. And then eight years later, they got engaged when Venus again went retrograde in his seventh house. Mm-hmm. Um, other times it will just connect events that happen earlier in the life when Venus goes retrograde in one spot in the chart. And then if Venus goes retrograde there in the future in eight year increments, like eight, um, 16, 24 years, et cetera, it can connect those events by virtue of just if there was a foundation for something earlier, then the repetition of that can connect those two times in your life, as in the case here with Muhammad Ali and his getting started as a boxer and then hitting one of his last peaks and last major comebacks towards the end of his career yeah. under the same one. What was that like 24 years later? 
24 years later. And I mean, you know, I didn't want to, like the story is so rich, but in 1970, when he had, you know, he had lost the title the first time for the draft, uh, when he was making his re-entry into boxing, after he regained his license, his first boxing match was during a Venus retrograde in Scorpio in 1970. So like, it's always sort of this like, you know, the new plateau for him. Uh, um, you know, he first entered boxing and then he sort of re-entered boxing 16 years after the first entry into boxing and then eight years after that re-entry wins that third, third title. So there's, yeah, um, there's all kinds of ways you can connect this. And yeah, if, if you understand the, the, the cycle uh, um, and, and how it functions, and it's not, it's not hard to sort of memorize, then, then you can look at a chart like Ali's and really sort of immediately jump to where um, a lot of those turning points are going to be. And, and, you know, if, if you happen to have him as a client, uh, you know, you know, uh, abstractly speaking, then, then, you know, this is the kind of thing that you can, you can do as a, as an astrologer. Is, is, yeah. Um, I like, like the how. way you've put this before, Nick, where you've, you've mentioned that um, it's almost like beat one of a new measure. Yeah. As in music, the, it's the, it's, it's that sort of rhythm, uh, I guess you yeah. could say of, of a life. Yeah. It's um, the one, it's the one, like for people who are musically illiterate, it's, it's the one on the beat. beat. One. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how do you use this for keep... a client? Oh, just, um, you know, if, if, you know, for instance, uh, you know, that the Venus retrogrades occur in, in Aries, Scorpio, Gemini, Capricorn, Leo these days. Um, so if you see a chart of someone who's, you know, got a lot of, you know, has angles or a lot of prominent play, uh, planets right in these spots where, you know, the Venus retrograde transit occurs, you've got this sort of shorthand uh, you know, you don't have to do as much sort of exploration and looking through the ephemeris, you know, oh, yeah, every eight years, this person has Venus cross their ascendant or Venus transit opposite their moon or whatever the case may be in this, this retrograde phase. And, um, and, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, sorry, I, I was distracted it, a second. Oh, no worries. I, I, I use it as part of rectifications, because when someone sends me their chronology, and I see that, maybe they've had a similar type of event occur within a given uh, Venus cycle, especially if they've lived long enough, then it can sometimes give me a clue as to the house that that Venus retrograde is happening in. So for example, if um, they've mentioned a career event that took place during a Venus retrograde and another career event that occurred eight years apart from that, and then there's like a gap, I might ask about that gap and ask, you know, what were you doing professionally at that time? And if it fits that, uh, theme, then that gives me a clue to potentially, oh, maybe that could be the tenth house or where the midheaven is. Um, so it's it's useful in that respect. I would also say that with, with um, rectification. Before you move on for the rectification point, we the three of us famously recorded an episode on this earlier this month, where Nick, you famously got a rectification right due to Venus retrogrades going through Hillary Clinton's one of the rising signs that was possible, and you it you was Mars. No, that was Mars. That was oh, Mars, Mars with okay. Hillary. That was Mars with Hillary. But same principle. I mean, same, same principle. principle yeah. Like same principle. If you know, I mean, you know, I, Mars has also got its own cycle, very different from Venus, but its own uh, uh, pattern. And and if you get to know it, once again, you can sort of look at a chart and know, oh yeah, the the Mars transits across the ascendant happened at these times, and and then you can zero in on 
the person's chronology. Uh, the right. other thing I was going to say, just in terms of you know using this as a as a consulting astrologer, it's one of the greatest gifts you can give a client um, is it, it is to equip them with this knowledge because if if you already know that you know such and such Venus retrograde transit over their ascendant has always been sort of this pivotal peak moment, which I you know consultation after consultation, I always you know this always sort of um, shows up to be true. You've also equipped them for the future. You've, you know, for as long as they're alive, every eight years, Venus is going to keep doing its retrograde over that whatever point we're talking about. And so they, they can be, you know, as long as they're with us, as long as they're here, um, they can understand it the same way we understand daytime and nighttime. Like, you know, that, 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 that they understand something about their, their ongoing astrology that, um, you know, that, that they don't necessarily, they, they won't necessarily get from uh, um, consultations, you know, because they, they understand their lives and, 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 and how they play out. Another important thing I think to bring up about the eight years, uh, the eight year repetitions is that after certain numbers of eight year repetitions, you also have coinciding uh, cycles or returns of the planets. So for example, at 24 years, that's not just a Venus return, but also typically a Jupiter return or close to it. Um, at 32, uh, that's Venus and Mars meeting up in the same places that they were relative to the sun. Um, at 40, that's Venus and Mercury coming back to the same places that they were. Now, you may not always have the opportunity to use those intervals, but it gives you a way of kind of qualitatively distinguishing between those different uh, iterations of, of Venus that they are also... Uh, coinciding with the returns of some other planets. And right. so if someone has those planets in a configuration in the natal chart, then you, so if some, so for example, if someone was born with Venus conjunct Jupiter, then you know that, well, age 24 is going to be especially good because it's not just Venus returning, but it's also Jupiter returning. Um, and uh, yeah, well, that's yeah. That, actually, that's, I can testify to that. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm actually, that's, that's a, you know, just on a side point since Mars came up, um, you know the, the the venus synodic cycle uh, over time intersects with the synodic cycles of other planets so indeed at the age of 24 you have a merging of the venus and jupiter cycles and so for people who have jupiter venus configurations or what have you that that tends to be like a really sort of critical venus return um 32 is an age where venus and mars returns uh, are simultaneous so at the age of 32 and 64 um, you'll see like if people have really strong Venus Mars stuff in their chart, the age of 32 or 64 will of, often be like a really uh, uh, important sort of turning point for them. Um, so yeah, that's another, that, that's a sort of, you know, more advanced uh, uh, use of, of, you know, the Venus uh, retrograde cycle, but it does come into play like in, insofar as it interacts with the other planets. Yeah, we gotta. We should move move forward. Okay. We're about sure. we're about halfway through our outline. Um, <laughs> so, uh, getting a little nervous here because we're three hours into this. Um, so to clarify that point though about Venus specifically, since we're talking about Venus synodic cycles in this section, um, that this is taking us back to what we mentioned earlier with the five pointed star, which is just that Venus goes retrograde in the same area of the zodiac roughly every eight years. So in the current cycle with the Leo retrograde that's going to take place between July and September of 2003, we know that Venus went retrograde. 2023. 
2023, that it also went retrograde eight years earlier between July and September of 2015 in roughly the same area, and that it also went retrograde eight years before that, roughly in July and September of 2007, and then eight years before that and eight years before that. So that's why that's what you're saying about repetitions, Nick, in consultations is that in a consultation, if you established, for example, that the retrograde in Leo was important for a client in 2007 yes. and 2015, then that gives you a really strong prediction for making basis for making a prediction that this upcoming retrograde in 2023 is going to be important as well, as well as potentially some ability to make an inference about the way in which it might be important, um, yeah. either in connecting successive events from the past or in bringing up topics that match that area of the chart. Exactly. And as, as I was saying, like, not only do you, do you have that, but you've also given, you've equipped the, the, the subject with the knowledge that long after they've seen you in July to September of 2031 and July, to September of 2039 and 2047, it's going to happen again and again. So, you know, if, if they live another 50, 60 years, they have this understanding, this basic understanding of how the cycles play out in their lives. And you suddenly have this totally different perspective of how your life is unfolding and what kind of control or lack thereof that one has over situations and choices and circumstances. So it's, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's knowledge that just keeps on giving. Right. Yeah. So it's not like, it's not like a Pluto transit, like, you know, oh no, what's this Pluto transit going to be? And you tell them and then the Pluto transit ends and then you know, you never have to think about it again. It's not like that. Right. Well, you can't do the same repetition because you can't look back and say, well, 200 years ago, the last time Pluto was in, <laughs> exactly. in early Aquarius. Maybe Aquarius. you have vampire clients, you know. You can, yeah. yeah. We're talking about past lives. Um, but with this, you can actually do repetitions in eight-year increments. Um, one thing we have to mention with respect to that is that there's a two-degree offset because um, every eight years, Venus stations retrograde two degrees earlier in the zodiac than it did the previous eight years, so that it slowly drifts over time. And so that's why, for example, in the this list of dates that I have, um, even though this upcoming retrograde between July and September of 2023 is going to take place, it's going to start, Venus is going to station retrograde at the end of Leo, um, that previous retrograde previously it actually started at the beginning of virgo and then retrograded back into leo so there was an overlap between between virgo and leo but from this point forward because of that two degree offset it's going to be entirely in leo for for quite a while yeah it's it's two zodiacal degrees two to three zodiacal degrees and two to three calendar dates earlier than the previous time for instance you showed mark hamill's chart a few minutes ago when we saw that he had Venus stationing direct in Virgo. So in 1951, that Venus retrograde was still entirely in Virgo. It hadn't started wandering into Leo yet, which I think started in 1959 uh, with, with the next uh, um, you know, return. Um, so yeah, uh, like over time, uh, it takes about a, like, I think 120 years for Venus to retrograde through an entire zodiacal sign. So this Venus retrograde that's happening this summer in Leo, back in the 20th century, a lot of, for the first half of the 20th century, it, occur, it occurred in Virgo. And then in the 19th century, it occurred in Libra. Um, so there's even like this very interesting way, if you study history like I do, you look at charts of people born in the 19th century, 
And that was an era when Venus was retrograde in signs like Taurus and Libra, whereas people born in the 20th century have Venus retrogrades in signs like Aries and Scorpio. This, this almost speaks to sort of, you know, people from the 19th century seem like almost like alien to us in terms of our differences in, in culture and character. And, and the fact that the, the Venus retrogrades happen in entirely different signs from century to century um, it also sort of speaks to uh, a cultural change over centuries, you know, that we're just, we're never the same community that we were a hundred years ago, that something's always, you know, shifting and we're becoming, yeah, we're, we're constantly changing, constantly becoming something else. Yeah. As well as like tastes and aesthetics and, and, sure. you know, longer, longer term generational shifts in terms of that. Right. You know, it's, when Venus is retrograde in Libra and Taurus, women want to have these big flowery hats and the, you know, whalebone dresses or whatever. And then, you know, it wanders into the Mars signs and then it's, uh, you know, cut your hair, start drinking whiskey, smoking cigarettes and, and uh, running for office. Right. Um, so let's see, let's do some examples of this really quickly. So one famous Time Twins one that I know you like to mention is um, Charlie Chaplin, right? Charlie Chaplin, and then um, a certain uh, a homeless Austrian painter who wandered down to Germany, fought in the First World War, and uh, became a, a sort of very powerful autocratic political leader in Germany. And he happened to have a very similar mustache to the one Charlie Chaplin wore in the movies. Uh, I'm speaking, of right. course, gotcha. of Joe Biden. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> joke, joke, joke. Uh, everyone knows who I'm talking about. Kanye West has recently has expressed I mean, admiration for this person. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they may not know. So the comparison is is Charlie Chaplin and Adolf Hitler, um, who were born very close to each other, right? Four days apart. Uh, Charlie Chaplin was born April 16th, 1889. And uh, Hitler was born April 20th, 420, uh, 1889. Okay, so here's Charlie Chaplin's chart. He was born with Scorpio rising and Venus retrograde at 18 degrees of Taurus. Um, conjunct Mars in the seventh whole sign house, mm -hmm. um, also squaring Saturn at 13 Leo in the 10th house. Um, so there's Charlie Chaplin's chart. And then- um, not, a not a mutual reception. Like it's similar to, to Ali's square, but you notice not a mu mutual reception. So in other words, it's, it's right. uh, that, that Saturn. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry yeah. to interrupt. I mean, it's also different because it's a night chart, so that Saturn yes. is actually more difficult for Charlie Chaplin, whereas Muhammad Ali had a had a day chart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Then Hitler was born with Libra rising and Venus retrograde at sixteen degrees of Taurus, conjunct Mars in the eighth whole sign house, and those are both squaring Saturn at thirteen degrees of Leo. Um, you know, this is interesting because it's a it's a day chart. So the sect is different, and sect is definitely a relevant factor in terms of interpreting a chart overall, as well as potentially for Venus retrogrades and how people respond to Venus in their birth chart and by transit. Um, all right. So what are the striking and and the point of this focus of this one of them being time twins is that they both have some very interesting parallels of important turning points in their life that actually happen to coincide with the Venus retrogrades. Exactly. Um, we'll go to uh, 1913, 1913 uh, the year that both men turn 24. 
uh, and it's in uh, May of 1913 when Venus is again retrograde in Taurus. Uh, that first of all, it, you know, Charlie Chaplin is a touring vaudevillian. He's from England, but he's in the United States uh, touring with a vaudeville troupe. And uh, someone, uh, a filmmaker, I think named Max Sennett, um, uh, hears of him, or I, I, I forget if he saw him or someone he knew saw him uh, perform. And uh, Charlie Chaplin, uh, you know, because of his vaudevillian performances, receives a telegram inviting him to come get involved in this new industry, burgeoning industry called cinema uh, in this strange place in California where people are starting to make movies called Hollywood. Um, so this he is was you know, from, he was born in, in the UK, right? He's born, he's, he's a, yeah, he's English and, uh, he's had a very rough childhood, but, you know, part of it was spent in an orphanage because his mother, uh, had, you know, quite serious, uh, uh, mental health issues and his father had abandoned them. So, you know, there's a whole sort of story there. Uh, but yeah, he, he grew up in the theater and he's a vaudevillian performer, uh, which is theater for people who don't know vaudeville was, you know, before we had, movies and television, people just sort of acted things out on stage and, you know, comedy and musicals and things like that. So he was part of that culture and that industry. And, uh, you know, cinema was just starting to really become a thing. And he gets this telegram inviting him to come to Hollywood. Now, we know this is important because he's going to be Charlie Chaplin, one of the biggest Hollywood icons of all time. I mean, even 100 years later, you know, his, his films still kind of have a power that most films that are over a hundred years old don't. Um, so that's that's it, you know an important invitation. And coincidentally, that same and, month and and this is tied in also. I forgot to mention with just because he's twenty four. That's three Venus cycles after he was born. So it's exactly. it's actually specifically tied into the one that he was born under, which is the Venus retrograde in Taurus. Exactly. Yeah. And okay. Jupiter, right. <laughs> Right, right. Um, and then coincidentally, that same month, May of 1913, is the month that um, Hitler, being an Austrian, moves to Munich. Um, and because he is someday going to be the Fuhrer of Germany, the fact that this is when he moves to Germany, this is obviously like a really important turning point. Um, if he hadn't moved to Munich, you know, well, who knows how the world would be different today. Um, right. so, so, so just, so, so, so just, just setting the stage in terms of like both these men, you know, arriving, uh, um, to their, you know, their destinies sort of find them or they find their destiny, if you will, by, by relocation in this case. Right. In the, so they're both born with Venus retrograde and they both have this crucial turning point where they move to the areas where they would later become, that would become so important for them and where they would become famous, um, at, at that same time. Yeah. And I think there's also like both of them are in foreign countries. Um, and there's there's a really, you know, like for Chaplin, this is going to be, you know, he's got Saturn in the 10th house in a night chart. Um, he's going to live in the United States for the next 40 years, but he'll never get a, an American passport. He doesn't become an American citizen, which, you know, um, this is called foreshadowing, folks. Spoiler alert, uh, that'll be a problem for him in 40 years. Um, and 40 years is a multiple of eight, but we'll get there when we get there. Um, but yeah, yeah, you know, he's he's a foreigner in in Hollywood. Of course, it's, since he's a silent film actor, it's not like his British accent is going to uh, ruin him for any audience. It's part of what makes him such a huge success because his movies are loved by everyone. You don't need to speak English to like his movies. 
Um, and but then, you know, uh, Hitler being Austrian moving to Germany, part of the reason he leaves Austria is because he doesn't want to be drafted. He, he doesn't like Austria. Um, he doesn't, you know, he's he's a, a real sort of, um, well, we, we, we know he's, he's um, a sort of German racist, right? He's a, a racial superiorist. Uh, no, that's not a word. Uh, he thinks the German race is superior. Uh, there, that's the rescue. Um, and so, you know, he's going to Germany as this Austrian and, and um, you know, the fact that he is a foreigner, I mean, it's this sort of, it's this weird phenomenon with world dictators, you know, that Napoleon was a Corsican who ruled France, Stalin was a Georgian who ruled Russia, you know, the, the, there's this sort of thing where the foreigner comes in and takes over a country. And that's, it, that, that, that's an, an important part of the Hitler story is that he's Austrian, that he's not, he's such a, like, a, you know, the, he's not a born uh, German citizen. So that makes him all the more sort of, you know, um, enthusiastic in a way. Yeah. I mean, in both instances, they're outsiders that come in and then despite being outsiders end up um, becoming almost iconic within that culture in some way, or not just fully yeah. embracing it, but being fully embraced by the culture in a, in an odd way. Yeah. Um, so let's jump forward though, to the, um, there's there's a number of Venus retrogrades that are important for both of them, but um, in 1945 there's a Venus retrograde that ends up being hugely important for both of them at the same time. Yeah. Um, so um, in 1945, uh, Chaplin is involved in this very public scandal. Remember, Venus retrograde is scandal. So um, he had already been involved in some scandals before, but in 1945. Uh, he's he's in he's on trial for a paternity suit. There's a young actress that he had had an affair with about two years earlier, um, and she, he was grooming her, uh, you know, in in the modern sense of the word, uh, um, for a film career. But she turned out to be sort of less to his liking than he thought. So he sort of you know, um, yeah, uh, terminated their agreement and their relationship, and and she didn't take that very kindly. Um, and she wound up um, taking him to court on a paternity suit. Um, now, as it happened, like, you know, it, we didn't have DNA testing in 1945, but there was a blood test uh, that that was used in, in, you know, for paternity suits in these days. And um, his blood test turned out negative. He was not the actual birth father of her child, but because he was a much older, uh, rich, uh, uh, left-leaning uh, uh, you know, uh, celebrity and foreigner, um, the court found him uh, liable and responsible for this child anyway. Yeah. But so the, the, this is a Venus retrograde that I think is notably the Scorpio rising. It's a Venus retrograde in his seventh house. He has it natally, right. but it's activating the seventh house. And he has this big relationship scandal that happens at the time that kind of is very negative for him overall, just in general. This is very summarizing very bad time in his life and then is yeah. that a good summary very bad time in his life yeah yeah um and this is april of 1945 so april of 1945 is also a big month for hitler um first of all he gets married um but then well that's you know, nice <laughs> yeah the yeah. next day <laughs> but then the next day uh he and his wife uh commit suicide because uh russian troops are uh, closing in on them uh so yeah not much of a honeymoon there um, he is so, the ruler of the seventh and the eighth. I mean, that, uh, that, that was the honeymoon. The honeymoon was that they <laughs> both committed suicide like the next day because they've lost the war. Um, yeah. 
the Russian and U.S. forces are both coming in from both sides. The entire country is just in shambles, and the end is near. And so he, yeah. in the end, gets married, but then also takes his own life. And he, you know, it's interesting in terms of him just because he has Libra, he had Libra rising and Venus was retrograde natally in his eighth house conjunct Mars and square Saturn and that same retrograde um, that was in the seventh house of Chaplin, it was in the eighth house of Hitler and he ends up, um, you know, uh, unaliving himself. Yes, yes, uh, unaliving himself. Um, well, there's one last thing just to say about Chaplin. So Hitler's shuffled off and we don't need to worry about him anymore. Um, eight years after um, uh, Chaplin's uh, lost paternity suit, um, he sails to Switzerland um, with his wife and children because he's now married. And um, while he's gone, the American government uh, uh, revokes his visa. Like I said, 40 years earlier, when he got that telegram, he never became a U.S. citizen. So uh, he's in the country at the, you know, at the uh, good graces of, of the U.S. government. And uh, it's the height of the uh, McCarthy era. And um, Chaplin is, you know, known to be a communist sympathizer. And uh, and he's very suspect as an alien who has never, you know, applied for American citizenship, despite living there and making a good life for himself for 40 years. So they revoke his passport and he winds up sort of settling in, in Switzerland uh, uh, for the next, you know, for the rest of his life. He does finally come back to the United States in April of 1972 to receive an honorary uh, Academy Award. And that occurs when Venus is uh, about to go retrograde in cancer to Gemini. So even there, there's, there's you know, that's, that's a later triumph. But just to focus on 1953, uh, remember in, in 1913, he's invited to Hollywood, you know, and where he will settle and create this life for him. And then 40 years later in 1953, during the same Venus retrograde in Taurus, um, you know, his, his American film career ends. And what was Hitler doing at that time? Oh, he was already <laughs> just, in the grapefruit. No, yeah. Rotting. Grapefruit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, Although yeah, there, was, there, there was a big East German uh, uh, uprising during this Venus retrograde in 1953. Um, so, you know, it, Germany itself actually had a Venus return from, you know, the devastation mm, of right. 1945. So there, there is something there. Which is also the the, the peace uh, treaty. Yeah, which is also, war. yeah, exactly, because it was just a couple of days after Hitler took his own life yeah. that uh, the Nazis surrendered, yeah. So um, with those two examples, we can kind of see the thread of, of it connecting um, events in eight-year increments. You know, Hitler moves to Munich, to Germany. Hitler, you know, having been the source of the destruction of Germany and everything falling apart ends his life there at the same time um, in Berlin. So, and then Chaplin going to Hollywood versus, um, you know, getting blacklisted from Hollywood in 1953 and uh, and from the U.S. and basically um, having bookends or tail ends of his, his film career. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Okay. That's pretty good. Um, yeah. So, Patrick, I know you mentioned some research you'd done on marriage, right? Uh, so... I mean, this not my research. This is just from the U.S. Census. Um, the uh, 
so the U.S. Census does all this research and statistics of the ages at which people get married and the length and duration of marriages. And so there's this really interesting summary from one of these U.S. Census reports about the durations of marriages. And uh, I mean, we can probably link to this uh, for the episode, but basically it says that First marriages which ended in divorce lasted a median of eight years for men and women overall, and the median time from marriage to separation was shorter, about seven years. It also says that the median duration of time between the divorce from a first marriage and a second marriage uh, is uh, about four years, (laughs) and the median duration of second marriages that ended in divorce uh, are also eight years. So we see the eight-year Venus synodic period being the average length of a first marriage and the average length of a second marriage, and that the amount of time even between the ending of the first marriage and the second marriage is another Venus interval, you know, four years, the halfway uh, point. So, um, I mean, we've already brought up examples here already of the eight-year interval showing up in relationships, but it's even more insane that this actually... Uh, <laughs> shows up in the statistics uh, themselves um, and to the point where there's even this really hilarious Psychology Today article that says, why so many couples divorce after eight years? Predictably, the, astro- the uh, article does not mention anything about astrology or Venus, but this is very, very obvious to anyone who's aware of this cycle as you now are, that uh, you know this is some fundamental part of the the timing and rhythm of human social relations. And so in many ways, very unsurprisingly, the eight-year interval happens to show up as a kind of average amount of time that a marriage lasts. Yeah, that's really incredibly striking. Uh, there's also um, in the in the newer census reports that summarize findings from 2016, they had um they didn't break it down into like the median duration but they gave the median duration for like different groups and when i compared those against the number of when i compared those times to venus phases they also matched up so there were like some groups that like where the average was 19.2 years and that happens to be um an exact uh number of venus uh synods basically um from whatever starting point you use. So the the Venus phases end up sort of showing up in these averages uh, statistically. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, Very. That's super cool. Yeah. Um, all right. So eight-year Venus cycle is showing up in a lot of different ways, connecting events, um, acting as a turning point, and sometimes being tied into a broader series. This also is true even in world events. One of the Venus, recent ones was the Venus retrograde that occurred last year um, when Russia invaded Ukraine. And this was widely noted by astrologers at the time because it was exactly an exact eight-year repetition of when Russia um, invaded and annexed the Crimea Crimea from Ukraine uh, eight years before that in In 2014. 2014. Yeah. So you can- They're trying to get the band back together, right? That's That's what it's Venus, right? It's trying to add or merge things that have previously been broken apart, right? Um, yeah, Violently. I mean, 
from the sure. r- Russian perspective. Right, but, from the Russian perspective. I'm not so, obviously endorsing that perspective, but I'm just saying that's that's what it was driven by on their part. Right? And, and yeah, the, I mean... Yeah, the, and in the, the you know, the if you look back, like the, the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989 and the Russian Revolution, the, the October Revolution, so-called, of 1917, both of those occurred just, you know, not long before that same Venus retrograde that you would see uh, cyclically in 2014 and 2022. So there's also this broader uh, um, story that that uh, involves, you know, Russia and its ongoing, uh, you know, issues. Yeah, to so, that same return. So you can do that. You can even go like really far back and still find these patterns there. Yeah. So the this eight-year cycle can even be applied in world events and in mundane events, especially studying countries, especially over very long periods of time. That's something you specialize in particular, and that people can find more uh, videos and different lectures and live streams that you're currently giving on your YouTube channel, which we'll put, I'll put a link to in the description below this great. episode. Um, All right, so let's move into the next section. One of the things we've already talked about is just looking to see what house Venus will go retrograde in. And that's a really simple way to see some topics that may come up for you if a Venus retrograde is is coming up in the future, where you can sort of anticipate what area of life uh, some of that retrograde may pertain to for you. Um, So we've already done a few examples of that. There was like, you know, Brad Pitt was the example of Venus retrograde when he got together with Angelina Jolie, and then it went retrograde in his seventh house again eight years later when he got engaged to her. Um, We had that example of Charlie Chaplin just now who had a seventh house one, and he had that major relationship um, debacle that happened that was very public. Um, What are some other, do we have any other examples that come to mind of ones that happened in in a specific house? Yeah. Um, so, uh, Machine Gun Kelly has Gemini rising, and Venus went retrograde in Gemini in May of 2020 when he got together with Megan Fox. And then Megan Fox has Capricorn rising, and they got engaged when Venus went retrograde in Capricorn over her ascendant. And, um, so they both had Venus go retrograde through their first houses as their personalities kind of became enmeshed or entwined with each other's, uh, you know, when they got together and then when they like got engaged. Um, so okay. I thought that was kind of interesting because um, we might think of those as like seventh house events and they are. And I think there are other ways you can sort of account for that. But I think it was interesting that they, um, uh, through their connection with each other, they kind of formed sort of a new entity in some ways. They became this, uh, they sort of reformed their own kind of identities by becoming, you know, this uh, power this couple. couple that's, yeah, power couple that's bigger than both of them. Um, sure. So um, one of the ways in terms of this that you can know if a Venus retrograde is going to be important for you is if it happens happens on an angle. So because this is because the angles are the foundation of the birth chart. Um, this is true, especially of any of the four whole sign houses, whole sign angles, which are the the rising sign, the fourth whole sign house, the seventh whole sign house, and the tenth whole sign house. Um, 
So with that, you know, some of the keywords that you can pay attention to if Venus is about to go retrograde in one of those is if a Venus goes retrograde in your first house, sometimes issues pertaining to yourself, your appearance, or your body can come up um, as pretty straightforward ones, in addition to just it being more important for you personally or relating to you personally because it's your first house, as, as we've mentioned in like those two examples you gave. Um, sometimes those topics can come up. If a Venus retrograde goes happens in your fourth house, issues related to your home, your family, your roots, or your origins can come up. Um, I use that example, for example, of Venus retrograde hitting my IC or stationing on my IC, which also has fourth house uh, significations and like reconnecting with family. Yeah. Um, yeah, seventh house can be relationships, partnerships, but also just your re, uh, interactions with other people in your life in general. And the 10th house can be career, reputation, life direction, and superiors. So yeah, yeah. so those are all possible examples. Um, does the George Lucas one have an actual connection with the house topics, or is it just that they're obviously important ones that happened in angles? Yeah, um, no, I guess they're, I mean, they're, they're, they're important ones that happen on angles. They happen in his seventh house. I wouldn't say they're like, they don't have to do with relationships. They have to do with his work. Um, but Maybe, I, is but, it opposed but, as Venus? No, but what actually, but where it, where it becomes a seventh house thing is that it has to do uh, largely with um, other people's responses to his work, if you will. Um, or, or the, the considerations he has to make, not like for his own artistic choices, but in terms of, um, you know, how, how people respond to them or what his legacy is, that kind of thing. Is that, is that where you'd want to go or do you want to find a different example first? Um, I mean, I want, I'm feeling like moving on because we're starting to get long and like lose steam here. So I was thinking about jumping to the next section unless you okay. have I had a Venus retrograde in my sixth house uh, when I lost a job um mm -hmm. <laughs> um and uh so that's that's always kind of stuck with me um because it was specifically because of a challenged social dynamic i had with my assistant in that position which again that's sort of sixth house thing basically the issue was i was the music director and they were the assistant music director but they were there for ages before i ever got there and kind of you tried to usurp my authority at every turn right using right. the kind of institutional advantage so they didn't want to have like the responsibilities of being like the head but you know they but they still asserted all the privileges and right. so it just caused a lot of sort of um difficult circumstances but that that assistant was uh, a lot more popular with the staff so that's why i ended up kind of getting the axe and uh, that is a whole, every Venus retrograde story is a wormhole, right? Uh, but yeah, that was just one example just from my own life of uh, Venus in the, in, in the sixth. I have a, you know, a bunch of others I can think of off the top of my head. Venus going retrograde in my 11th was like being introduced to this, uh, this group that I started doing the um, piano accompanying for this singing group. And um, that was also where I met my wife. Uh, was during that Venus retrograde. That's when we started dating. And that was also a very complicated social situation because she'd just gotten out of uh, marriage. She was freshly uh, separated, not yet divorced. So it was 
um, kind of complicated. Anyway, I, I can just say, I mean, the, you know, being Leo rising, the, the Venus retrograde in Leo is always this major new uh, chapter in my life. It, and, and I expect it again. It, 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 it's always this, this new step. Uh, it's been very, very consistent, which I guess was part of what, uh, you know, helped me recognize the, the, the power of the cycle. Although I, I first noticed it in other subjects I was studying before I really pointed it out myself, but did, without question, the Venus retrograde in Leo in my first house has that uh, new chapter vibe. Nice. Yeah. I, All right. uh, I can't believe how many Venus retrograde events I was able to find from my childhood that I sort of, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, forgotten yeah. about. Yeah. Like I remember um, there was, I was like obsessed with my teacher um, from when I was only like seven years old on November 5th, 1994, because it was Guy Fawkes night. That's when she like introduced me to her boyfriend at the school event. And I remember just being distraught. Um, Shame. <laughs> and that you was a Venus seven. retrograde in Scorpio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and I, I have Venus in Scorpio. So, uh, you know, it's just, it's just crazy because I always remembered that. Um, and then yeah. I finally put it together. Oh, that was like a Venus retrograde event. Anyway, oh, so, yeah, I just yeah, wanted to bring yeah. up a couple of example, other examples sure, of like sure. Venus in the houses. Right. All right. So, moving on to the next section, one of the last yeah. things we wanted to mention was annual perfections, and this is another way that you can figure out if a upcoming Venus retrograde period is going to be important for you if it's activated through annual perfections, because as one of the Time Lord techniques, annual perfections helps you to know which planetary transits are going to be more important in a coming year. And you can see some of the previous episodes I've done on annual perfections just by searching through the podcast archives for more on that technique. Um, We've already mentioned one, didn't we? Where somebody—I guess it was just a perfected sign—but one of the primary Kurt things. Kurt Cobain. Is, we we mentioned Kurt Cobain. We mentioned his perfection. Yeah, um, but one of the more straightforward ways is just if you're in a Taurus or a Libra perfection year, then it means that Venus is activated as the Lord of the Year, and in those instances, if a Venus if Venus goes retrograde at that time, it's going to be um, you're going to want to pay more attention to that retrograde than you would in other years. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Um, um, Megan Fox was in a 10th house leap of perfection um, until May 16th, 2020. And just before her solar return in April to May of 2020 was when she got together with um, uh, Machine Gun Kelly. Kelly. Right. So, well, yeah. Just during the was, Venus retrograde. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Okay. So that's Venus a good was one. her ruler of the year, and that's when it happened. Yeah, and they're they're a very sort of Venus retrograde kind of couple, like you said. They're, For they're, sure, yeah, we yeah. actually talked about it on the uh, February twenty twenty two monthly forecast when we were to kind of doing a recap of like, you know, what happened during that Venus retrograde, and we talked about, you know, the the drama with Kanye West and Kim Kardashian and their ongoing, you know, divorce saga and and uh, the you know extremely almost unhealthy <laughs> uh Megan Fox machine gun Kelly uh dynamic um right. with Venus retrograde conjunct Pluto and Capricorn at that time yeah um so yeah so pay attention to if you have Venus as the Lord of the year in perfections because then it's going to be more important or if Venus goes retrograde in the perfected sign like for example with this upcoming retrograde if you have if you're in a Leo perfection year, then it means that that retrograde in Leo is going to be more important for you than it might be for other people. Um, and we've used already the example of Kurt Cobain with that, where he was in a Virgo perfection year and Venus went retrograde in Virgo in the year that um, 
Nevermind came out, the, their biggest album came out. Yeah. Uh, Machine Gun Kelly was in a Capricorn uh, perfection year when they got engaged during Venus retrograde in Capricorn. There you go. Um, okay. It's actually a bit of a darker story than you'd think because it's his eighth house that was perfected. And at first they didn't make sense. So it's like, what's so eighth house about this? But it turns out a little later, um, he released this song called Last November, referring to November 2021. And he talks about this uh, miscarriage that uh, they'd had. And and he has Saturn in Capricorn in the eighth house. And that was um, the okay. perfected sign. But that's also where Venus went retrograde just you know a month later. And that was when they, um, you know, they officially got engaged in January of 2022. So there was kind of this like somber, deathly story, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was happening in his life at the same time or in the same kind of temporal proximity to you know the engagement coincided with venus going retrograde in the perfected sign so that was kind of um that that example ends up being a good demonstration um on a few of these different techniques yeah for sure uh perfections are super important so people can check out previous episodes for more on that um moving on to shadow periods we've already kind of mentioned this which is just that shadow periods extend the time frame of the retrograde and you need to pay attention to sometimes that the first pass of the venus retrograde transit if it transits a natal planet in your chart can open up a sequence of events that will not be fully finished or wrapped up until the ending post retrograde shadow period um so just paying attention to not just the retrograde itself but for example um putting up the chart for today we know later this summer venus is going to retrograde back into at back to 12 degrees of leo and that's where it will station direct so right now today venus is at 7 degrees of leo so as soon as venus gets to 12 degrees of leo that sort of begins the pre-retrograde shadow phase and at that point you sort of should start paying attention to events, especially um, because there's like a buildup to the retrograde at that point. And sometimes the events that are precursors to the retrograde will start happening once that pre-retrograde shadow begins. So with Venus square Uranus, maybe some one night stands in the near future for some people. Right. Or or encounters with the alien life forms. <laughs> with or, Venus Square Uranus. Or both if you combine those. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, close I, close I encounters of the what and Chris, kind? Chris right, joins right. in on the ribald history. No, I, yeah, <laughs> Let's all, right. all right. So shadow periods. And then finally, um, okay, yeah. Well, that was it. Just paying attention to yeah. natal planets within the retrograde. Um, range because it's going to hit them three different times. And uh, yeah, I think that brings us up to the final section, which is just, um, we did want to mention your work, Nick, which is paying attention to the broader intervals and phases uh, that these retrogrades are connected to and trying to track them um, in that entire sequence through those eight-year repetitions um, that's and right. coming coming up with a, a classification or a way of categorizing those that's not just tied to the zodiac, but is more focused on the, the eight-year intervals themselves? Yeah. Uh, basically, what I've done is I've mapped that eight-year Venus cycle um, into a, a, a sort of diagram slash ephemeris um, that allows an astrologer to identify any segment of 
that eight-year cycle. It's broken down into 20 components. Um, do you have the diagram? Do you want to show it so it's easier to describe? Yeah, here's one of them. Is this one that'll work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that works fine. Um, so yeah, you can see the the inner ring is a is a ten division with letters A B C D, and there's there's black and white five of each. Those are the phases. So the 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 black D, the black C, the black B, the black A, and the black E. Those represent uh, Venus in the, its evening star phase, and then the white letters represent Venus in its morning star phase, and then that outer ring. Uh, with the four colors, the red, white, blue, and black. These I call Venus intervals, and these map the, the changing speed of Venus, because Venus moves at different speeds at different times of its cycle. And it's the red intervals. You see the red one, the red two, the red three, the red four, the red five. These are where the Venus retrogrades happen. So Chris has been talking about shadow periods, which start about 32, 33 days before the retrograde station. I, I extend that a bit further back to 50 days before the retrograde station and 50 days after. That's where the intervals begin because that's where the greatest elongation, the greatest distance between Venus and the sun starts. And that's where I really sort of, that's where I draw uh, uh, the parameters where you're really entering into what I would call the Venus retrograde interval. Um, so it's an extra 16, 17 days on either side uh, apart from, you know, before and after the shadow periods. Um, but that's where I really identify uh, um, the, the, the sort of the, the, the very specific section of the Venus cycle where this Venus retrograde, uh, um, you know, the thing we've been describing, the, the sort of the, the, the changing consensus, the, the, the revisiting the rules, the, the breaking the rules, all that kind of stuff, uh, in, to my mind, really begins uh, in between the two uh, uh, greatest elongations of Venus where, you know, begins and then you get the Venus retrograde and then it ends at the other greatest elongation. Uh, Watson and I meet every week to do a team stream and we we talk about this material. So if you are interested, I've got a, a video on YouTube called the introduction to the Venus synodic cycle, which explains it much better than I just did now. And uh, yeah, we, we regularly do live streams now to sort of explain this material. There are uh, there are ways to calculate, like now on AstroSeq, um, my uh, my what I call it the phase interval map. So the PIM. Um, this is yeah, this is the video I made on YouTube uh, about the PIM. So people, people can just Google or go on YouTube and search "Introduction to the Venus Synodic Cycle." Yeah, or you can look up my name, and it's it's sort of the the pinned video at, on my YouTube channel. Um, and yeah, we. Um, Regularly on live streams, we talk. Well, we talk about a number of different things related to astrology, but with the, the a good portion of it, we talk about the Venus synodic cycle because there's so much material to cover. So, if you are skeptical, or if you are interested, or what have you, um, um, this is material that we really expand on. That even though this podcast is run four hours and twenty minutes, there is way more that we can say about the Venus synodic cycle, and. Um, so if you're interested in the intervals, please do come check it out. Astroseek.com uh, uh, now uh, uh, has a feature where you can calculate these intervals and phases. So very grateful to Petter for doing that. And actually other people, Watson included, Watson's made this Excel sheet to, to use to, to map the, the synodic cycle in, in my PIM model. And um, yeah, a couple of other people have approached me with, with projects that they've um, started and and are really fascinating and and you know that also include this PIM so it is something that's sort of catching on and uh the the main idea is that it's yeah it's a really there you are there's the astroseek 
uh, venous synodic cycle map. So people can uh, just Google venous phases and intervals astro seek, and that page will come up. And... Make sure to put a dash between astro and seek. That's right, astro seek.com. And um, yeah, that's um, that's a little um, that's a great way to sort of if you're if you've seen my introduction to the venous synodic cycle video and you're wondering, am I a black three? Am I a you know white four or whatever the case may be? Uh, uh, thanks to astroseek.com, astro-seek.com. You can look that up yourself. And then, uh, yeah, check out uh, the live streams that Patrick and I do uh, um, to get some Sundays, uh, afternoons. Sundays. Sunday afternoons, yes. Yeah, also, and people also can our... find that partially through your YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash nickdiginvest. Yeah, yeah. And it also runs on your YouTube channel as well, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's also on my YouTube stream? channel. It's also my Twitch. It's on my Twitter I'm trying to get it set up with my Facebook. So pretty much anywhere that I am, you should be able to find yeah, uh, a link also, to yeah. it. Yeah, yeah I'm also on the Twitter, it. Twitch, and Facebook. And I, I want to add the the blue sky and the the yeah. What what is it? Mammoth? What's the other one? But Mastodon. 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 Um, you know, I want to add them there. Um, so yeah. There's actually, even though this has been one of the longest episodes of this show ever, <laughs> there's a lot <laughs> more to say. Um, so I hope you'll join us. Yeah, so people can check out your YouTube channels for that, where you're going through a lot of different biographies and showing how Venus retrogrades connect different events and turning points in people's lives and using um, this as a handy tool for uh, using shorthand in order to divide those periods of time um, and do some of those studies with Venus retrogrades, because it turns out it's actually more Venus retrogrades can be more interesting and even complex than what we've get, gotten into here in this episode, where we've kind of almost scratched the surface in some ways. Yeah. But hopefully we've given people some ideas for how they can understand and, and an access point for understanding Venus retrogrades in their own charts, and um, both in terms of, of natally and, and especially uh, with upcoming transiting retrograde periods and how that can work in their life. Um, I'd love if some people could share some stories with us in the comments on YouTube, especially of just how past Venus retrogrades have worked out for them, how it's matched up with their chart, and also if they have any good anecdotes about those eight-year repetitions of Venus retrogrades and repetitions in their life, that would be interesting to hear as well. I guarantee you, if you look, you will find it. It's so yeah. it, it's so reliable that you know if you if you follow the steps we've outlined you'll find gold. You'll find gold. Yeah. All right. Um, concluding remarks. Do we have any concluding remarks about Venus retrogrades in general or things that we've learned during the course of this? Uh, be kind to each other. Be honest with each other. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, I mean um, you know, some of those All you need things... is love, man. All you need is love, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's pretty much the, the Re Venus. Re recorded and released in the summer of 67, not too long before Venus went retrograde in Leo. The summer of love was definitely Venus retrograde. It was 1967. Mm. So was the summer of punk of 1975. So go figure. And the summer of grunge, 1991. Yeah. Well, I, I think... I think that people, um, yeah, should pay attention to this upcoming Venus retrograde and see how it works out for them in that specific spot in their chart and then um, learn from that, but also just go back and study the previous retrogrades in eight-year increments. And once you do that, you'll learn a lot about 
how this transit works out in practice and how you can apply it in the lives of other people, um, not just to understand what it means natally, but also just as a, as a very complex timing technique using something that's relatively simple as a, as a transit that occurs every 18 months. Indeed. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, I guess that's it for this episode. So thanks both of you for joining me today. Thanks Thank you, us. Chris. Thank you. Cool. I'll put links to both of your websites and stuff in the description below this uh, video on YouTube or on the Astrology Podcast website for the entry on this episode, and people can find out more information about that. Otherwise, um, thanks everyone for watching this episode. Good luck in this upcoming Venus retrograde. Let us know how it goes in the comments, and we'll see you again next time. Special thanks to all the patrons that helped to support the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons on our producers tier, including Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Mimi Stargazer, and Jean-Marie Kaplan. If you appreciate the work I'm doing here on the podcast and you'd like to find a way to support it, then please consider becoming a patron through our page on patreon.com. In exchange, you can get access to bonus content that's only available to patrons of the podcast, such as early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the monthly forecast episodes, our monthly Auspicious Elections podcast, or another exclusive podcast series called the Casual Astrology Podcast, or you can even get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode. For more information, visit patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. If you're looking to get an astrological consultation, we have a list of recommended astrologers at theastrologypodcast.com slash consultations. The astrologers on the list are friends of the podcast that have been featured in different episodes over the years, and they have different specialties such as natal astrology, electional astrology, synastry, rectification, or horary astrology. You can get a 10% discount when you book a consultation with one of the astrologers on our list by using the promo code ASTROLOGYPODCAST. The astrology software that we use and recommend here on the podcast is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available for the PC at alabe.com. Use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we recommend a software program called Astro Gold for Mac OS, which is from the creators of SolarFire for PC, and it includes both modern and traditional techniques. You can find out more information at astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 to get a 15% discount. If you'd like to learn more about my approach to astrology, then I'd recommend checking out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune where I go over the history, philosophy, and techniques of ancient astrology, taking people from beginner up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. You can get a print copy of the book through Amazon or other online retailers, or there's an ebook version available through Google Books. If you're really looking to expand your studies of astrology, then I would recommend my Hellenistic Astrology course, which is an online course on ancient astrology where I take people through basic concepts up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. There's over 100 hours of video lectures as well as guided readings of ancient texts, and by the time you finish the course you will have a strong foundation in how to read birth charts as well as make predictions. You can find out more information at courses.theastrologyschool.com. And finally, thanks to our sponsors, including The Mountain Astrologer magazine, which is a quarterly astrology magazine which you can read in print or online at mountainastrologer.com.